Welcome to This Week in Marvel, episode number 292. This is your official Marvel podcast of all news, new releases, and quick talking bros, and... Yeah. Quick eating bros. Yeah, we ate real fast. Yeah, just uh, to get to you guys. We've had a million things going on today. It's crazy. Yeah, it's We're busy. recording this on Friday. It's been a heck of a week. Mm-hmm. Lots going on. What's going on? This episode is brought to you by Loot Crate, Loot according Crate. to the sheet in front of me. Yep. I think it's a Spider-Man one, but yep. nobody on the team updated it, so nope. I'm pretty sure it's a dope Spider-Man yeah. uh, uh set oh and we'll talk a little bit more about that later on in the episode but if you want to subscribe to loot crate gear and goods crate go to lootcratecom slash marvel pod and use the code marvel pod for a little bit of a discount little what little, little bit what discount yep yep a little bit just a little bit i'm ryan panagos aka marvel's <laughs> agent and vice president and executive editor joined by uh ben Morris, editorial director of digital media here at marvel we've got intern angelica with us Hi. I won't give you your nickname because you hate it. Yeah. No, be, absolutely I'll be not. Nice. Do not. Oh, my yep. God. Imagine if we gave it on the podcast. That yeah. would be the worst. Wow. Wow. That's a good uh, one. This is my second podcast of the day. Congratulations. I already spoke to Rainbow Rowell, uh, yep. the new writer of Runaways this morning. She was a delight. You're not going to get to hear that until September. Hmm. Uh, so I hope I made lots of pop culture references <laughs> to what was going on this week in the world. I also spent my morning experiencing something that people won't experience for... Uh, uh, about a month. True that. Give or take. True that. And it was spectacular. Some would say... Sensational? Amazing. Web of? <laughs> well, you, just, <laughs> you just got too far. Anyway, uh, let's get right into the, the podcast. We're going to talk to you about the, all the new releases out this week. Print comics, digital comics, collections and single issues. And we've got a host of books. So what do we got? Let's kick things off with Captain America, Sam Wilson, number 22. It was written by Nick Spencer. The art came to us courtesy of Sean Izaxi. Uh, colors by Nolan Woodard. This follows Sam Wilson in the early days of C- Secret Empire, basically what Sam's been up to since he gave up being Captain America, um, decided to take a break. In the midst of all that, Steve Rogers revealed that he was Hydra and took over the country. So, you know, not the best time to stop being Captain America. We could really use another Captain America now. But what I love about this issue is, ah, man, Sam's just so cool. Like the scene in the diner where he's watching what happened to Captain America um, and he's watching what happened with Hydra and he's basically like, oh, this is terrible. And some of the citizens are like, no, you know what? Hydra's good. This is the best our country's been in a while. We're in really good shape. And, I'll, and, I, and I trust Steve Rogers. Steve Rogers wouldn't lead us the wrong way. And Sam just like can't even bring himself to be on the um, – same page. He's just he, he just wants to get out of there. He's like, are you guys really talking about Hydra as being good guys? And they're like, yeah, for sure. And then Sam goes outside the diner, and there's another pro Hydra guy picking on these this woman and her inhuman child, trying to like take the child away, yeah. try to put them into an internment camp. And messed Sa- up, dude. Yeah, very messed up. And Sam, just awesome hero moment. You just see this trash can lid fly out of nowhere, hit one guy, hit another guy, bounce back. Great shot 
shot by Sean Exoxy of Sam with the trash can lid like it's a Captain America shield and Red Wing right by his side. Awesome. Super like may- dope yeah. hero moment. It's like, yeah, he may have put down the, the official shield and but the, he's the still flag. he's still my Captain America. Hell yeah. Yeah, it was really cool. And then um he basically decides, okay, I gotta get back in the game somehow. it's it's all about Sam Wilson being like I can be off on my own, doing my own thing, because he was basically like living in the desert, yeah. off the grid. But once I see that people are in peril, that people are in trouble, I need to help. He so, was demoralized and defeated, mm-hmm. and like at a low point for him emotionally and personally. Yeah, he reaches back out to Misty Knight. Yes, she's super mean to him because well, I guess he just yeah he just kind of took off without telling her, and they were in a romantic entanglement yes. of sorts. They had been bone zoning for a yeah, while. They've been bone zoning. He just ghosted. Yeah. Um. So then they get D Man back up in here. The whole team's back together. They work on getting people out of the country like who need to people who have powers people who are inhumans people who would be threatened by the hydra regime at the end scott lang shows up and that's where it kind of dovetails with the main secret empire story because scott lang makes a promise to sam that he'll never get him involved in like the main secret empire stuff and then basically says yeah i don't tell the truth yeah. very often <laughs> yeah you could kind of fit this issue in between two and three of Secret Empire. Yeah. Um, so you could read it before you read Secret Empire number three, which we will get to a little bit later. But first up, another Secret Empire tie-in is Deadpool number 31, mm-hmm. uh, written by Jerry Duggan, art by Matteo Loli, inks by Christian Dalla Vecchia, colors by Ruth Redman. And um, this one actually takes place before... Before se- Zero. Before Zero. Way back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it back in those place- innocent pre-Hydra days. Yep. So... <laughs> Um, and it's it's all about like the why I chose this one. Part of it was like the deep emotional connection that Wade Deadpool has to Steve Rogers. Yep. Like the stuff that he's been through with Cap, and like they talk they touch upon it. Uh, like well, the first page says, you know, Dave, Wade's like not long ago, Cap helped me stay sane through the worst thing I've ever been through, and mm-hmm. it's Captain America and Wolverine were so integral in. And Deadpool being, like, the man he is right now, like, being able to step up, be a somewhat better person. Mm -hmm. He's still the murderous lunatic, but there's still, like, this element of honor and, like, trying to help. Uh, And when Wolverine died, then Deadpool actually had to step up even further. Cap reached out to him and said, I need you to be my Wolverine, to be the Wolverine on the Avengers, for a number of reasons. He's, He's the guy who will take care of the things that need to be taken care of cap basically said you know like put him in place because there are things that a lot of the other avengers shouldn't and won't do mm-hmm. but in some cases those things need to be done at the end of the day you gotta remember steve rogers is a soldier mm-hmm. he's been trained to be a soldier he knows how to fight the bigger fights yeah. um so this issue is about cap in the midst of the secret empire stuff uh cap coming out uh Cap um, uh, in Secret Empire stuff. Cap stepping up and saying, like, before he's about to enact all his plans. This is Stevel, as we'll call Stevel. him. Uh, is that Steve- catching on? It's in one of the books this week. Yeah, it's rem- actually re- remember Rolk, Red Hulk. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you know, Steve is starting to put his plans in place, and there's one very important thing that he needs to get done, and that uh, involves Deadpool. So he goes to Deadpool and he says, Deadpool. I need you to do something for me, no questions asked. And Deadpool's like, whatever you, no I am your guy. Yeah, he's yeah. all about that. I believe you, and more importantly, I trust you implicitly. Yeah. If this is what you're saying, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. And that that that's 
like this theme. It's and it's the really dangerous thing about Secret Empire is that people trust Steve Rogers. They trust Captain America so much that if he's doing something, that's probably the way to do it. There's a right. line in one of the books this week. It's like, you know, if Captain America does something, do you really want to be on the other side of that? Yeah. Is that really like? Think about long term. Is that the choice that you're going to want to make? Right. Right or wrong. In the midst of everything that's going on, that's a lot of where people's heads are. Flip side, Deadpool has to go after Coulson in this. Yeah, Agent um, Coulson. Agent Coulson, who has a very similar mindset about Captain America, has similar experiences. But Coulson, he is not blind to all these things. Coulson thinks about all this stuff, and he is, you know, figured out that something is up. And that's what sets him again on a course against Deadpool. There's a huge moment here with Deadpool and Coulson and Lola that I saw shared mm, on social media. Yeah. And, and uh, Clark Gregg, who plays Phil Coulson, was not pleased, not pleased by at it. Because uh, you don't touch Lola. Right. Um, but there were things in here Deadpool that... Deadpool did more than touch it. Yeah there, there was, yeah, there was some stuff in here where I flipped a page when I was reading this. I put it down and yeah. I, went, I put my hands on my... I was like, oh my God. Yeah, this is like, crazy. There was some crazy stuff in here. And... You know, you see what happens, and Deadpool still, he's like, okay, this is this is what we're doing. And you can tell that there's, it doesn't sit right, but he is following Captain America down this path. It was nice because it paid off a relationship that didn't just come out of nowhere. Right. This is something Jerry Duggan's been building quietly for years, yep. since the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly arc, uh, with Death of Wolverine, yep. Captain America and Deadpool special, and then going into Uncanny Avengers. Like, this is something... This is, yeah. This is a close relationship that he's worked hard to foster, and it really paid up storytelling dividends. 100%. Uh, here. Yeah. All right. Moon Knight number 14, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Greg Smallwood, colors by Jordi Belair. This is the final issue of Moon Knight. It's part five of Death and Birth. Uh, it, Candidly, it was my favorite comic this week. I thought it was amazing. It was incredible. It was amazing. Uh, it picks up with Mark Spector wandering the desert, trying to get back. Well, first they're showing basically a flashback to Mark Spector's origin as Moon Knight. So beautifully drawn. So beautifully colored. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's enough love to be given to Greg Smallwood. Yeah. Throughout his run on Moon Knight. He's like, really grown, man. It looks wow. like, it looks like these figures are carved out of wood. They and Jordy Belair, I gotta say, because yeah, a lot of a lot of what's going on is also in the coloring and and the textures yeah. and all that stuff. So the two of them together, dynamite. So Back in the day, Moon Knight, or Mark Spector, is becoming Moon Knight. He's uh, having his first uh, encounter with Khonshu and all that. And meanwhile, in the present day, he's gone back to the asylum that he was in at the beginning of this whole story arc. Uh, we're kind of fluid on the question of, is the asylum real? Is he imagining anything? I kind of like that they don't provide solid answers for it. Yeah. I'd prefer to kind I mean, of believe Moon Knight's what book, it is. He, he doesn't know. No, he has no idea. Um, he's got to save Marlene. He has a fight with the orderlies. The violence in this is just so well done. Uh, it's just so understated and so just nasty. It's a nasty book. And uh, Moon Knight basically has to fight through the layers of unreality to get to Khonshu. Khonshu is gar safeguarding himself with, you know, a specter of werewolf, no pun intended, specter of werewolf by night, a specter of Bushman, all these things that have tormented Mark for years, and he's just like, no, I need to get together to you, um, and he's just, I love it, just this page where he's just yelling at Khonshu, just saying, like, you are nothing, you are just my madness, I am not afraid of you, and... It's, it's all, it's beautiful. It is. It's like it is. someone battling their own 
like mental problems and trying to take control of their life. Yeah, this is I, we just it was May was Mental Health Awareness Week mm -hmm. or month, and I I tweeted a bunch about that when yeah. I was doing this. Mental health is an issue that's very close to me, and this book was just perfect for me on that. It's inspirational. I mean, it's the way he takes the things that supposedly make him weak and use them to become strengths. That's how it's kind of represented here to me, that his alternate personalities, the things that were looked at as the things that were holding him back, he's like, no, these are part of me and this is what's propelling me forward. And this beautiful shot of after he defeats Khonshu, um, this beautiful shot of him looking over New York City, everything being back to normal, uh, having achieved something, these last few pages, I love it. He just says, quiet. For the first time in a long time, our mind is quiet. Yeah. And it was uh, great. Our mind. And it's, it's an interesting it's thing. Accepting. It's accepting. Yeah. Yeah. He's accepted who he is. He's accepted, okay, this is part of who I am. It doesn't make me bad. It doesn't make me weak. This is just who I am. And I need to, because so much of this series was building towards, all right, he's got to get rid of these alternate personalities. Mm -hmm. These alternate personalities are bad. They're holding him back. We flash back to his childhood with his father telling him, like, you have to stop this. You can't. But here he owns all of who he is. And it's just this beautiful wrap up. I, I, my hat is off to everyone who worked on the Moon Knight series. It's really a phenomenal piece of storytelling and just an incredible message. Yeah, I, I would say if you've not read Moon Knight, this is a tough... The last issue is a tough one to come Oh, in no. On. Read the whole thing but from the there, start, please. So much of it is on Marvel Unlimited right now. Yep. Uh, but especially this last arc has been just incredible. Yeah, these last five parts have been amazing. All the all the guest artists and all the great stuff. I gotta give my, my hats off to Jake Thomas, who's the editor on mm -hmm. this book. He assembled an amazing team. He brought in great guest artists. He steered this ship correctly all the way from start to finish. And, uh, approaching a difficult topic. Very difficult. complete maturity mm -hmm. and, and telling, letting the storytellers tell the, tell the tale in a way that is fulfilling, that is real, mm -hmm. that is... Um, ultimately very rewarding yeah I, I honestly got choked up reading this yeah. on the train it, it was, was really good. very emotional yep um, also another great series uh, that I want you guys to check out is Occupy Avengers number 7 out this week written by David Walker art by Gabriel Hernandez Volta uh, <laughs> so good yeah, an awe uh, of amazingness love Gabriel Hernandez Volta more colors by Jordi Blair. yeah Jordi she's everywhere incredible so, yeah, hardest so, working lady in comics um up there, definitely. Up there. Um, there are the so yes, Gabriel Hernandez Walta, incredible artist, like uh, among our favorites. Mm -hmm. Every time an issue comes out, so having him on this book is great, and we love David Walker. This is the story of a town in what is this? I Dungston, Iowa. The Dung Good old Dungston. Yeah, the Dung capital of Iowa. Yep, uh, and where, maybe the world. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. They, it's just this little town that is getting by. Double uh, dung. And what has happened is this this ragtag team of Hawkeye, uh, Red Wolf, and Nightshade, they've rolled through after, you know, so they sort of came together. Their crazy van, this really super-powered van, which we get tons more info about in this issue, which makes it the coolest van, maybe even so cooler cool. than the A-Team van, which is tough. Cooler than the Punisher's battle van? He has many battle vans, okay. as we found out. Yeah. So, yeah, I think so. All right. This is one of a kind. Nice. Um, uh, so we find out a lot more about that. And then you've got Wheels Walensky, who came in in the last Wheels couple of issues. Wheels Walensky. So good. Great name. Uh, he's come in, in the last couple of issues. Um, and they they come to this town because this town is in peril. It's actually a town full of scrolls. Yep. They have been uh, like hiding out here because, and we find out in this issue why they're hiding out here, what caused them to 
essentially break away from the Skrull Empire. Yeah. Uh, and they're, because they are sort of defectors from the, the main Skrulls, they're being hunted. Other Skrulls like them have been killed in subsequent issues and led to this giant battle within the city, within, you know, Dunstan, Iowa. And of course, Hawkeye, being Hawkeye, mm. is like a magnet for trouble. He gets them caught up in the middle of this. Uh, so there's this giant firefight and it looks really bleak. But the battle van is or the the van here. The uh, what do they call it? Fantastic. Fantastic. Fantastic yeah, uh, is much more than meets the eye. <laughs> and uh, Wheels Walensky and the van <laughs> go nuts. There's this two page spread I'm open to, which is one of my favorite spreads this week. It's beautiful. It's beautiful, but it's also like yeah, comic yeah. books. Yeah. This is just like the dopeness. It's so cool. And then <laughs> then there's like the next page after you see the van is the the main cast. Their reactions to what has happened yeah it is i mean my favorite is red wolf and he said he says and this and still this world surprises me yeah so good a big fight but you know the good guys they get their win nick fury shows up there's some sadness as well but then there's just like a really cool moment and like awesome stuff this team coming together i love this book so much it's a good group of I characters really 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 hope you check it out yeah. um, it I is did. I did. I one of it. my favorites all of you read oh, it all of you alright the first issue should be up on Marvel Unlimited now so uh, yeah it is yeah if you need to just get a little little taste little. get in there uh, moving on to Secret Empire Uprising number one. This one was written by Derek Landy, art by Joshua Cassara, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. To Rochelle Rosenberg and Jordi Belair, basically. And Ruth Redman. And Ruth Redman. Yeah, it's, we got a, the coloring core. Amazing crew of colorists. Great group of colors. This focuses on Black Widow working with some of the younger heroes in the Marvel Universe. We got Ironheart, we got Miles Morales, we got Amadeus Cho, we got the new Falcon, we've got Vision, and we've got the new Wasp. She is training them to try try to uh, take out Steve Rogers to try to take out the head of Hydra uh, and the way they're doing it this time around the mission in this particular one shot is to infiltrate the Hydra uh, youth choir oh my god what a great idea and of course Ugh. in the process we find out that Wasp and Amadeus are the best singers uh, Amadeus is <laughs> Amadeus, the best singer Amadeus rocks out the art in this is great uh, very like textured and very just cool and awkward um and we have little scenes with black widow like talking to each of them and making them uh feel really bad yeah and she's just like breaking them down to build them back up she's the who's the the british guy from american idol Simon Cowell. She's the Simon Cowell of their yeah, team. Yeah, she's the Simon Cowell of their yeah. team. But maybe the real Simon Cowell is uh, the villain find of 2017, <laughs> the Choir Master, who's this so guy with a villain mustache and a Hydra. However, head, all headset. the Hydra shakes out. I hope we, uh, we I hope we see more of Choir yeah, Master. For sure. So Amadeus and Nadia go undercover in the choir. And who shows up but the freelancers, our favorites. Those jerks. The freelancers are everywhere. They are like the breakout stars of the past year. Everyone wants to yeah. use them. So uh, Nadia and Amadeus have to try not to get caught because they know what Amadeus looks like. The rest of the team has to try to sneak in an image inducer so that Amadeus can use it. Black Widow's basically left them to their olden devices at this point. Uh, Amadeus proves to be smart as always, uh, takes a disadvantage in, uses it to his advantage, and uh, kind of throws Nadia under the bus. They fight a bunch of Hydra people. They fight the freelancers. You know, um, one of the things I love about the freelancers yes. is that they are a very, like, there's layers to them. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. they actually, like, they don't agree with what's no, going on. This is just a paycheck for but them. But they are just like, 
we got to get paid. Got to get that money. But this sucks. Like yeah. have like there's a bad about of, it. Yeah, there's a little bit of conflict, and you you they feel like people. Like absolutely. Like they have their own stuff that they have to deal with. So this is important that they need to get this done. But man, it sucks. Absolutely. And we get to see more of kind of the stuff that was uh, alluded to in Captain America. Sam Wilson, where a lot of these kids are like, no, man, Hydra's awesome. Yeah. We're psyched to be associated with Hydra. And that's a key component of Secret Empire, I think, yeah. that we don't want to overlook, is that Captain America being at the forefront of Secret Empire has made it palpable for a lot of the civilians of the Marvel Universe. This they, They're on his side, and yeah. they agree with him. And that's what makes it so scary. Yeah, the, the note is also that this should be read after Secret Empire number three, Correct. which we will get to in a little bit. We'll get to in just um, a sec. But Secret Empire number three sets up what happens in that issue. Absolutely. All right, we've got Old Man Logan, number 24. This is the final part of Past Lives. Past Lives. Uh, this is also the final issue for this creative team yes. of uh, Jeff Lemire, who did Moon Knight as yeah. well. We love him. Big yeah. week for Jeff Lemire. Yeah, Jeff Lemire, writer. Art by Eric Gwynn. Colors by Andres Mosa. Um, this one crushed me. Yeah, it's a heartbreaker. It is. Oh, boy. Yeah. So Wolverine has been, you know, sort of, He's um, his body is in the present day, but uh, this villain has sent his consciousness skipping through time, reliving his, you know, his life mm-hmm. essentially in various parts. Um, Wolverine in each time has been trying to get this locket that is helping him move closer and closer to reality. Um, but he has landed in his past, which is the old man Logan future, mm-hmm. uh, and he's landed in his body, waking up next to his wife. Yeah, like. He is his in the events of Old Man, the original Old Man Logan story. His family, his wife and two children, were killed. Mm-hmm. He is the think about thinking about Old Man Logan it, with that. I try to think about that every time he shows up. Mm-hmm. The the recent complete awful weight of that loss on him because it's not like you know Wolverine had Mariko and Wolverine had all these various loves, but they were never they were like. Here and there, right? Mm-hmm. They were most of the, lo- the the women and the people he's loved have been periodic. This is someone he's been with. This is his family for fifteen years. Yeah, he has built a life and built such strong bonds with these people, and they were murdered. Mm-hmm. So he every time you see old man Logan, think about that yeah. and what he's dealing with just moving forward. So then he's put back into this past where. He can live this life. He can have this time with his family. And you. this is a essentially most of this issue is a day in the life. Mm-hmm. It's him with his family. Um, and there comes a point where like, he is like, I, I can change this. Mm-hmm. I can save them. I can do what I want to do, which was, you know, save the, the Banner child, of, you know, the, one of the grandchildren of Bruce Banner who was being, you know, that this is my mission. I can do my mission. I can save my family. I can make it all better. Mm-hmm. And it's, he finds out that time won't let him no like he can't change everything right so it's this heartbreaking thing part where you get to where logan realizes he if he stays he has to watch his family die again right in front of him he can go and have a little bit more time with them or like it's it's brutal and it's heartbreaking you get the the creepy banner you know family Mm -hmm. um uh you get the the banners and you get all that stuff um but you, just these heartbreaking moments with Logan and his family, absolutely just devastating. Uh, really well done. Very upsettingly sad story, but incredibly good. And it does, it actually puts a good cap on 
that chapter of Old Man Logan. Right. Um, and it, it sets him off into moving forward. It feels like what's left for him is in our present yes, which is universe. which is really good because yeah. I think that that's a helpful moving point. And next issue, we got a new creative team and it's uh, a new beginning. Yep, new beginning. Uh, lots of beginnings, endings, all sorts of other things over in Secret Empire number three. I talked to Tom Brevoort and Alana Smith about this, so we'll go into a little more detail with them. But just to give the high-level overview, we've got this mysterious figure who showed up at the end of last issue. We learn a little bit more about him and how he might fit into everything that's going on. We have, I love this, we have Star-Lord, Groot, and Rocket Raccoon trying to negotiate on the behalf of Earth yeah. to um, <laughs> the aliens. Yep. I freaking love this moment. Oh, it's the so aliens good. are just like, death to Earth! Well, the best part is, like, they're all like, Star-Lord is an idiot. Yeah. He's like, hey guys, so Earth, there's this bubble around it, we can't get in, can't get out. It's yeah, he, gives really, it, he gives it all away. Yeah, he's like, uh, so you, can, you, can you help us? And they're like, so we, we hate Earth. Yeah. You are the worst. We want to kill you and Earth. Yeah. So that didn't work out so yes. well. Uh, we get a little bit of Captain Marvel and her team fighting the Chitauri in space. Andre Sorrentino. So good. Andre Sorrentino is the artist on this issue. Yeah. Um, Rod Rice helps out a little yeah, bit. The, the, Some sequences by Rod Rice. Yeah. Those are very good. Nick Spencer, of course, wrote it. Uh, we see Black Widow in Newark, uh, one of my favorite towns, um, <laughs> negotiating, <laughs> negotiating with someone who, if you're a longtime reader of Nick Spencer's work, you'll be happy to see Boomerang show up here. I thought that was nice. It nice, was a nice great. little nod. Oh, yeah. And, you know, Boomerang's got some stuff going on. He's got some stuff set up. Uh, Maria Hill's in this issue. She set some stuff up. We see the flip side of what we saw in Uprising with Black Widow training the younger heroes and their opposition. We have Captain America taking Sharon Carter to a Hydra science fair, which is just just so great. What a date, huh? <laughs> Another panel I loved is basically they're talking about trying to track down these... Um, cosmic cube fragments and they're like we just sent one we just sent the team the avengers to atlantis and they just have this brief aside panel where they go let's hope this goes better than the one in wakanda yeah you just see a badass picture of black panther just like tearing up i want i hope we get that story i kind of like us not having it i like it being left to the imagination a little bit but we have caps avengers in uh, atlantis they go looking for the fragment you have this double page spread open and i can't like I don't want to skip on it because Andre um, uh, Andre Sorrentino mm-hmm. frames the entire page with this beautiful underworld like just uh, underwater device. You've yeah. got these unicorns and it looks like coral and it looks like not seahorses. 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 <laughs> they're the same thing, right? Yeah, they're, they're yeah. Uh, same unicorns family. Of the sea. Yeah, yeah, unicorns yeah, of the there sea. There we go. Uh, and that's why you're here. It's just this this really cool tapestry yeah. and such a great way to tell yeah. the story. And I love these Avengers. I want to know more about these Avengers. Yeah. Uh, I want to know how they came to existence. Uh, another group is hunting and a group of our heroes is hunting for another cosmic cube driving which is being held by someone who I did not expect to show up in Me this neither. series at all yeah. and I said um, or will say oh this time travel <laughs> I will say to Tom in an upcoming segment on this show that this is the creepiest I found this character in oh, yeah. maybe years yeah, just yeah, so yeah, terrifying yeah, yeah. More stuff with Rod Rice and the mysterious figure from last issue. And then the end, which is just insane. Yeah. And I've heard that every... Tom said to me, every issue ends like this. Every issue ends with some insane thing happening. So, like, we've got to just buckle down and get ready. 
Yeah, crazy. that last page and you, the character that shows up, and I was just like, "How? What? Yeah, Why? How, how is this working? This is great." But it makes a little sense. But I wanna, I wanna hear. Need how to it know all, more. Yeah, yeah, I need to know more. All right, let's get to the rest of the books on sale this week, starting with Cable Number One, <laughs> written by James Robinson, art by Carlos Pacheco. We have. A thing going down in the Old West. Basically, Cable is going through time, getting into fights. Gets into some fights in the Old West. Um, Also noted, Rafael Fonterra's inked this, and Jesus Abertov colored it. I had to wait till I got to the credits page, which takes place after the Old West thing. It's some gorgeous-ass pages. Like, real nice. Cable's trying to get the You just want to put your hand on those pages' butts. Yeah, exactly. Super inappropriate. Yep. Definitely an HR violation. But the pages are okay with it. I've asked for consent. I don't know that they are. Um, uh, We've got Cable initially in the Old West, but he goes to feudal Japan. Like you said, just beautiful stuff from Carlos Pacheco. Fights a bunch of ninjas with digital swords. They look awesome. He's trying to get to the bottom of some unknown enemy who is poisoning the time stream and with weapons and yeah. nightmares and then we can get down to the bottom of it. it's got to be cable all right on to deadpool versus the punisher yeah number four this has been a nice little series I really really it. enjoyed it uh written by fred van lente art by pere perez colors by ruth redman uh and you've got deadpool every issue he sort of gets shot in the head and then he has to wake up and figure mm-hmm. out what's going on in this issue he finds that uh he he learns the truth about his friend uh his friend's son and wife and that like there's this great moment where the the kid who he's known since the kid was born tells him what's going on and tells him that the two skull men are fighting and it's punisher versus taskmaster and he there's just this awesome page uh of deadpool getting up and he is pissed so off he's angry he's gonna go take care of them and there's just fantastic bunch of pages of Deadpool and Punisher versus Taskmaster versus each other and the last page here I was like wait what? Yeah. It's so good. It really love this man. issue. There's well, a 40 panel page in this issue. It's I will say that. It's great. And it is dope. It's awesome. They do, they're doing a great job over there under the radar. Uh, Dr. Afra, number seven, written by Kieran Gillen, art by Andrea Brocardo, colors by Antonio Fabello. We're continuing the Screaming Citadel crossover. Oh, check it out. It's Jar Jar Binks. Uh, it's like zombie Jar Jar Binks. Luke and Afra are on the run from this queen who they've upset. They reunite with the evil droids as well as Han Solo, as well as Princess Leia, as well as Sana, and they all get together, and uh, Luke kind of sticks up for Afra. He's like, hey guys, she's not so bad. We've been hanging out, and she's okay. Then uh, the queen shows up, pulls off these nasty mind tricks that take out Luke and Han, so now the girls are on their own. Uh, they get the droids with them. They're trying to figure out a way out of this. There's some nasty-looking characters who are standing between them and saving the day. Uh, they get Black... I can never say his name right. Chrysanthemum. Black Chrysanthemum involved. He gets really pissed off, and oh, uh, they, things things look bad. There's some awful stuff that happens to Black Chrysanthemum, and just, yeah. there's scariness. I love bad, this. Man. It's a creepy-ass series. Real bad. Uh, crossover. All right, on to Doctor Strange, number 21. This is a Secret Empire tie-in, written by Dennis Hopeless, art by Nico Henrikon. Henrikon? Henrikon? Uh so good to see Nico doing work for Absolutely us. love uh, him. And um, so this is a Dennis Hopeless written book. So we get uh, Spider-Woman. Yeah. Ben Yurik in it, great. which is great. Deadpool's in here. Uh, but Doctor Strange is try- is like working his way to get very specific ingredients to create a special witch's brew to get rid of the Dark Force, mm-hmm. uh, to get New York City out of this Which would this, be great. People would trap. love that. That would be yeah. so wonderful. For, it would be fantastic. Yeah. But of course, things go pear-shaped. Everything goes wrong. I knew you were going to say that. I, like I love it. that. 
phrase. I like it. Uh, it gets all messed up. Grossness abounds. Uh, things popping out of other things. It's gross. Uh, but then we see that uh, a major New York City character shows up right at the end, mm-hmm. and uh, there's going to be shenanigans. Gamora, number five, final issue written by Nicole Perlman, art by Marco Cicchetto, colors by Andres Mosa, Gamora, and this Badoon princess who she wanted to kill initially but now it's kind of come around on and thinking maybe I need to save this girl maybe there's more to life than just killing all the Badoon uh, they're trying to get off this planet before it gets destroyed by a black hole we get a little history and backstory behind the Badoon princess we get Gamora's family trying to take advantage of her and the way she handles them is just great uh, a lot of cool Outer space action being drawn by Marco Coquetto. Nebula comes into the mix. There's a little uh, back and forth between Nebula and Gamora. And um, basically their relationship is established. And Gamora proves to be more than just a horrible assassin. And this is where we start to get the first sense of the fleshing out of her character. Yeah. Um, all right, so we've got uh, Generation X, number two, written by Christina Strain, art by Amalcar Pina, colors by Felipe Sobrero, J. David Ramos, and Chris Sotomayor. And um, this one, there's a lot of Quentin Choir in here. There's um, a lot of the rest of the team as they fight the purifiers in this new Xavier Institute in Central Park. And Quentin Choir... I like the nasty side. Nasty. Like they get real good, real nasty. Christina's uh, take on him is fantastic. Mm-hmm. The purifiers are dangerous people. Uh, they're trying to kill innocents. That you know, uh, you get uh, Jubilee with her kid and all kinds of cool stuff. Great moments. A lot of the characters get to shine in here. I am loving this series. Yeah, absolutely. Guardians of the Galaxy Mother Entropy number five. Another final issue written by Jim Starlin, art by Alan Davis, inks by Mark Farmer, colors by Matt Yaki. Uh, everyone in the Marvel universe has been covered with this mother entropy fungus goop it's all over Galactus it's all over the Silver Surfer the only being left to save the day is Groot he comes up with a clever plan he executes he says I am Groot a bunch of times he (laughs) saves Pip the Troll Uh, it's cosmic action as you like it we get a nice little coda afterwards with the Guardians back on nowhere and all the problems they face and uh, what their reaction is to the fact that Groot saved them all yeah alright we've got Hulk number 6 written by Mariko Tamaki art by Nico Leon, colors by Matt Mila. Uh, So after issues and issues of building up the rage inside Jen Walter, she's been trying to hold it back, but no, she unleashes here. We get full Hulk action, and it's a little, it's different from last time we saw uh, the Hulk before last time we saw She-Hulk, and she has to fight this fear monster. It's really cool. There's emotional stuff. It's heartbreaking at times, um, and it's it's great. I love this this version of Hulk. I think it's there's a lot more to come, a lot more to mine here, uh, and we see that you know there's a there's a lot of story here and a lot for Jen Walters to to do. Man Thing number four, written by R. L. Stein, with art by German Peralta, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. Man Thing has found himself in another dimension. He's trying to save the old man who the old father who is the guy who controls the nexus of all realities. He ends up in a gladiatorial fight. He has a hallucination where he thinks a snake is his lady but it's really just a snake guys and the snake tries to eat him there's actually a great <laughs> art sequence there that I really enjoyed as the snake casually eats him I've been watching my old uh, did you ever get the Jake the Snake Roberts Pick Your Poison DVD set Mm-mm, great no. DVD set I'm watching it on the train right now I watched Jake Roberts against Ronnie Garvin this morning Rugged Ronnie Garvin Rug- this was before he was Rugged Ronnie Garvin they called him <laughs> the one man gang Ronnie Garvin what but, so I guess one man gang was not a national the thing the best part is Ron, Ronnie Garvin was like 5'8 he was tiny he was a small man but he was man. built he yeah, was a little he was. He was 
little fire plug. Yeah. Anyways, that's us talking about wrestling for this week. Um, uh, Man Thing gets into all sorts of stuff in this gladiatorial arena. There's a bunch of different um, tricks and trades and who knows what happens at the end. And there's a backup story called The Neighborhood Watch by R.L. Stein and Jonathan Marks. Great artist. Uh, I love seeing Jonathan Marks work. It's a cool little twist on a werewolf I tale. really dug that werewolf Yeah, that one was story. fun. Alright, Ben just had to bounce out because he's got some uh, meetings that he can't miss. And so I'm going to tackle the rest of this before we do all the other segments of the show. So up next is Mighty Captain Marvel number 5, written by uh, Margaret Stoll, art by Michelle Bandini, colors by Michael Garland and Eric Arseniega. And this is, I, I really dug this story, The Secret Empire tie-in. Uh, Secret Empire tie-in, sorry. Angelica, our intern, just had this look and she was hitting buttons on the recorder. And We're all good, we're good, we're good. Okay, okay. <laughs> all right, so um, we've got these new recruits. These, uh, you know, what do they call them? Um, the, they have this cool name. They're basically they're Alpha Flight trainees um, to be part of Captain Marvel's squad, and um, they come from different places. They have different backgrounds. They they're just you know they they've got these cool stories, um, really interesting recruits, and they're here. And this is sort of taking place before the events of Secret Empire. You know, like when things really go wrong. I don't think in here it gives like a read this before this takes place before whatever but um this is before the dome around planet earth has been set up by captain america um this is sort of most of the issue takes place before that and then the events that you know we see happen after um you know you see captain marvel they they win this giant battle against the chitauri and every they feel like all right we did it this is great um but oh no you better hope that something is gonna happen. It, it it's there's a really bunch of interesting stuff here that I don't want to spoil, uh, but especially if you haven't read Captain uh, Secret Secret Empire. But Captain Marvel here is really good. The story arc is called Band of Sisters. Uh, there's a lot of battling that's gonna be done, and this is them fighting a war of attrition against the Chitari. It's gonna be as we see this go on. I mean, this is almost had a hopeless endeavor we, we've already seen the toll it's taken on a lot of the characters throughout secret empire and some of the other crossovers but this is really where we're going to hone in on it and it's it's harrowing i remember margaret stoll talked about it at c2e2 and she's she's getting real like she's going to talk about a lot of stuff she's done some interesting research watching shows like band of brothers and a lot of world war ii stuff that tells like those kinds of battles and how much it like takes a toll on everyone so really interested to see how this uh unfolds then up next we've got spider gwen number 20 written by jason latour art by robbie rodriguez colors by rico renzi uh, uh angelica looking at me because i said jason latour because we have a video editor here at marvel named jason latour as well as a writer of <laughs> comics uh named jason latour they spell their names they spell Latour differently. Oh, man. But, that would have been cool. Yes. So we say them the same. Uh, so anyway, we jump into this issue, and Gwen has – she's found uh, Harry Osborn, who is lizarding out. She's found him in Madripoor. There's ninjas around. Uh, so we, we're just jumping right into that. And there's also this uh, small man with claws, very dangerous dude. Um, she calls him 
uh, there's a name that they call him like Knife Hands or Mr. Murder Hands, uh, which, yeah, the immortal Mr. Murder Hands, Harry telling this, the story, like the legend of Wolverine in Spider-Gwen's universe is different. It's, he was a samurai, uh, he was, he killed and murdered and did all this terrible stuff, uh, and was, um, you know, basically given this elixir that would never let him die and it's him living throughout the years longer and longer and being this killer and it's a really cool story uh, essentially now he's working for shield um but we get to see him and he's going after harry osborne and then boom another character with claws shows up and she can sort of uh, go in and out of stuff and we find out that uh it's shadow cat uh, the untouchable shadow cat so we got a version of kitty pride in here she's got wolverine claws i don't know the full story yet i'm very excited i love this and there's a big old knockdown drag out between them you've got ninjas you've got matt murdoch as the kingpin all his machinations you've got 20-sided die i love this series it's so good um killer stuff all around and i love these versions of uh wolverine and kitty pride all right we've got thanos number seven Another one, another one written by Jeff Lemire, art by Herman Peralta. Um, I, I, ben says German, but I'm pretty sure it's Herman. Herman. Uh, yeah. Herman Peralta, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg. Um, and it's this is brutal. This is Thanos at among his lowest. He is eating like rats, the, these kind of rats on Titan. He is more or less dying but he is trying to survive as best he can he's super depowered he's super like just down in the dumps sad most of the issue is silent it's really it's it's a awesome story he gets his ass kicked by these two scavengers they beat up thanos and he's like don't you know who i am i'm thanos and they're like whatever dude you're not thanos then they they go through his stuff and find his helmet and they're like wait you think he's actually that? No. Uh, but by the end, uh, we get to see characters who've been showing up throughout the rest of the series actually come to Thanos, and it's a big turn. Um, I think what they're doing, bad idea, but maybe Thanos is the only one who can help them save the universe. Great series. Love that book. All right. We've got Unbelievable Gwenpool, uh, number 16. Angelica's pointing at it. She's really – she loves Gwenpool. I do too. So uh, a, a buddy of mine on Twitter asked – like, oh, there's this giant sale happening for Marvel trades on Amazon or something like that. What are some books to suggest? And I suggested Occupy Avengers, Ms. Marvel, uh, uh, New Avengers, USA Avengers, a bunch of other books, and Gwenpool. Because I freaking love Gwenpool. And this book, this issue in particular, really, really good. Written by Christopher Hastings. Art by Gudihiru. Um, and it's it's very different story. The end of last issue, we saw that Gwen uh, was trying to see, like, if what the analog to her family was she she's in her universe which is our universe she lived in new york so she goes to where she her family would have lived to see what's there and boom she opens the door and it's it's actually her brother her brother brother from her universe and it like they they jump into a portal to go back uh to their native universe and he says i'm taking you back home back to before you came to this universe so sets them back in time uh and we get to see what gwen's life was before she was you know traipsing around the marvel universe and it is it's not glamorous y'all did you read this one angelica no No. oh it is she is She's just basically loafing about. She's not motivated. She's 
kind of you can tell she's like in a depressed state she's just hanging out she's playing video games she doesn't have any ambition she's not moving forward in her life and she's you know like it's a, a cycle that she's really upset with and trying to come to grips with um but things take a really big change right right at the end of the story and you get to this thing and it says the end and i was like wait what what's happening and then you see um the letters page and this version you know this gwenpool on the letters page says well i guess this is it for me thanks for reading my adventures it's been a wait who am i talking to my adventures and then there's more story at the end and i love the cool twist that happens in this book it's really cool there's some really interesting stuff in here i really uh, another one it's like Gwenpool is a book that I think some people wrote off because, what, Gwenpool? You guys, you're jumping all the sharks. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is terrific. It is really, really good. Um, highly recommend it. All right, so that's it for the issues out this week. Um, at least, yeah, print and digital. You can get those digital books uh, on the Marvel app. Um, but collections on sale. We've got Hawkeye, Kate Bishop, Volume 1, which, another book, highly recommend. Uh, Infamous Iron Man, Volume 1, Infamous, highly recommend. Runaways, Volume 4, True Believers. Solo, Volume 1, The One-Man War on Terror. Spider-Man, The Complete Clone Saga, Epic, Volume 4. Spider-Man, no, Spider-Woman, Shifting Gears, Volume 3, Scare Tactics. Squadron Supreme, Volume 3, Finding Namor. Love that title. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man Ultimate Collection, Volume 7. Wolverine, Old Man Logan, Volume 4, Old Monsters. Young Avengers by Alan Heinberg and Jim Chung. The Children's Crusade. I always love some Young Avengers. Um, And then we've got digital comics this week available on the app uh, in addition to all the ones we've talked about already. Cage from the 90s. That series issues 13 through 20. Incredible Hulk from the original run, 269 and 270. 272 through 299. Silver Surfer from the 80s and 90s series, 51 through 59, which is highly recommended. We talked a little bit about that. That's I, I think we talked about that. That's in the Silver Surfer Infinity Gauntlet um, collection. That's stuff with him and Thanos and Ron Lim art and... Uh, Jim Starlin and Ron Mars writing, and it's it's really good, a different perspective on the events of Infinity Gauntlet. Really, really good stuff. Uh, Spider-Man Hobgoblin Lives from 1997, issues one through three. Then digital collections on sale this week, Avengers 4, Deadpool the Duck, Hawkeye, Kate Bishop, Volume 1, Anchor Points, Infamous, Iron Man, Volume 1, Infamous, Solo, The One-Man War on Terror, Spider-Woman, Shifting Gears, Volume 3, Scare Tactics, Squadron Supreme, Volume 3, Finding Namor, Wolverine, Old Man Logan, Volume 4, Old Monsters, Excalibur Visionaries, Warren Ellis, Volume 2, Excalibur Volume 2, Saturday Night Fever, love the classic Excalibur stuff, really, really good, Fantastic Four Masterworks, Volumes 14 and 15, and Spider-Man Hobgoblin Lives, then freshly digitized on Marvel Unlimited, new this week we've got A Year of Marvel's November Infinite Comic Number 1, All New X-Men Annual Number 1, Amazing Spider-Man Annual Number 1, Avengers Infinite, one through four from 2000 ben not being here can't tell me what that is because i'm sure he knows and i do not cage number two captain marvel number 10 civil war two number seven death of x number four uh 
Doctor Strange and the Sorcerer's Supreme, number two. Super duper, highly recommended series. Now you got two issues to read on Marvel Unlimited, no excuses. Enchanted Tiki Room, number two. Han Solo, number five. Marvel Tsum Tsum, number four. Marvel Universe Ultimate Spider-Man vs. The Sinister Six, number five. Mighty Thor, number 13. Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur, number 13. Prowler, number two. Pride and Wisdom, one through three from 1996. That's um, Kitty Pride and Pete Wisdom. Cool little story with them. Uh, Spider-Gwen, number 14. Spider-Man, 1999 from the original run, 23 through 33. Star Wars, number 25. Ultimates 2, number one. Venom, number one. And X-Men, 92, number nine. That's a lot of comics. Um, all right. So as we mentioned earlier, we're going to go to Ben, who has uh, – he's talking a little bit about Secret Empire with Tom Brevoort and Alana. Um, they are going through that stuff. They'll talk about the news. Then we're going to go to the West Coast. I'm sure there's a games update. Then we're going to come back with our This Week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club discussion part one of x-men executioner song the greatest story ever told it is the best uh just a reminder that this episode is brought to you by loot crate um you can go to lootcrate.com slash marvel pod and use the code marvel pod for a discount on your order uh, and the next upcoming crate is going to be a spider-man themed crate i know one of the items is a spider-man eye mask which is, you know, it's basically like Spider-Man eyes over your mask, over your face, which is fantastic. As someone who flies a bunch, I always keep an eye mask with me. Uh, it's just a thing I do, y'all. I keep an eye mask with me because, you know what? If I get snoozy on a plane, I need to shut off all the light. And I'm definitely going to be taking that Spider-Man one with me. Uh, it's also going to be great. You see someone with that, snap a pic. That's a thing you're going to do. It's going to be great. Angelica is shaking her head at me. Uh, but... I love all the, the Loot Crate gear and goods crates. They're pretty fantastic. I think I told you guys before, I use one. Of, I use the measuring cup for one of my drinks all the time. Yeah, the Ant-Man, uh, Giant-Man measuring cup. It's fantastic. Um, and all the other stuff. Really good. So we'll be talking more about what's in that crate and hopefully show you some of that stuff on some of our other shows or online. Um, and again, it's lootcrate.com slash marvelpod. Use the code marvelpod to get a discount. All right, now to news. From Marvel Headquarters, it's This Week in Marvel News! Here we are in our news section of This Week in Marvel, talking Secret Empire once again with Tom Brevoort. Hello. And Alana Smith. Hello. Thank you guys both for coming back. Thank you. Uh, we're happy to be here. I'll keep the scatological comments to a minimum. <laughs> <laughs> how long will you be happy to be here? How, how many times can we have you back until you've, well, just, you, you've had it with us? Well, I tell you, I, 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 we started, I thought, you know, like nine times maybe would be the limit. Mm -hmm. But now <laughs> that we're getting into the rhythm of this, I'm thinking we could do ten, Easy. maybe even like, you know, ten and like a, a, a last one to wrap it up. Oh, all right. Um. Well, that's just that's just how it feels today. It's just how it feels today. <laughs> well, we're talking about Secret Empire number three today. Uh, just came out this week. Of course, came out months ago for you guys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but to get to the heart of something that, that we can talk a little bit more about now, that uh, the end of issue number two introduced us to another Steve Rogers. Mm -hmm. In issue number three. We get a little more of this Steve Rogers. Is there anything you guys can say about this Steve Rogers, or are we just keeping mum on it? Uh, yeah, they're, they're, you know, 
the 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 book is in stores. That's <laughs> that's about that's about all we're gonna say about that. That is fair. I've seen a lot of very interesting and. Uh, you know, sort of typically crazy uh, fan theories that run the gamut as to what this is. And what's amazing about all of them is that everybody who has a theory seems to preface it by saying, oh, it's obvious they're just doing such and such <laughs> in a in a sneery way, mm -hmm. and then give their theory that's completely off base. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> uh, so that's, that's slightly entertaining. Nice. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's all it's all to be revealed in the passage of time. This is only issue three, mm -hmm. and there are many more to come. Yes. Well, we'll get off of that and talk about some stuff we can talk about. But what I want to talk about first, and I wrote it down here. My note says cathartic alien moment. <laughs> now I'm going to what that is. It's when uh, Star Lord and Rocket go to the various aliens of the Marvel universe, the various alien races, basically ask for help, and the aliens just run them off saying like no what are you talking about Earth's in trouble we hate her screw <laughs> her <laughs> I even say hail Hydra yeah um, that was just such a fun moment for me I just I don't know even yeah. though I'm technically you know from Earth I was like yeah <laughs> I was like you you guys go you, yeah, you it's you, kind of fair enough yeah at this right point. like all right yeah, yeah you talk, talk a little bit about that moment and like how how that plays. and it's and it is kind of a light-hearted fun moment in the midst of all well, the darkness it's a very I mean it, it, it's a very guardian sort of, of moment you know you can you can tell that uh, you know Nick is sort of channeling some of the spirit of the James Gunn films mm -hmm. you know in 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 the way the the characters interact there and then the the, the particular uh, you know sort of spice and sizzle to that scene sure um, that actually gets expanded on in a big way in the tie-in Guardians of the Galaxy annual, oh, nice. which is coming out yep. in about a month, I think. Yeah, um, I just read the final this morning, so I know it's I know it's almost there. Mm. Um, so uh, uh, you know, so there's 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 more to the Guardians' involvement out in space, and uh, you know, trying to recruit allies and help uh, uh, bring people down to help them crack open the shield around Earth. Um, but really, it's you know, it's uh, uh, you know, kind of given the characters a characteristic moment mm -hmm. in the middle of all this stuff. And it's kind of also like from the alien point of view, it's a bit of an absurd situation right. because Star Lord is essentially coming to him saying, "We've locked ourselves out of our planet, <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's like, no, of course they're not going to help because this is hilarious yeah. and it sucks for them, and they're, they're like, no, like this is clearly something you guys did yeah. that was not too smart." I loved it. I thought it was a great uh, moment. That was a great beat. So what is the sit rep in space? What is going on with Captain Marvel and her team? What's up with Quasar? What's going on with all the characters who are out in space as of number three? Well, uh, you know, everybody is still sort of there, you know, huddled in and around Alpha Flight Station mm -hmm. uh, without a heck of a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. uh, and with, you know, continuing waves of Chitauri just pounding down on top of them. Uh, so they're they're you know kind of on the battlefield in the middle of a war zone you know that that, that that's not going to be ending anytime soon, uh, and they're beleaguered and they have no supply lines and they have no real outside assistance, mm -hmm. uh, and again this is a storyline that's going to play out 
uh, you know, in a significant way in Mighty Captain Marvel mm -hmm. and a few other places, like in the Guardians Annual I mentioned earlier and so forth, as well as in the core series. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, those characters are... are uh, are, are under under trial. We see some more of that in uh, U.S. Avengers too mm -hmm. in in mm -hmm. a, a week or so. Um, yeah, Ultimates as well. We've already seen yeah, a bit Ultimates. of it uh, of them being stuck out there and trying to just hold, you know, hold the line as much right. as they can or just survive at this point. Uh, so, because the main thing is survival, because the planet shield is not coming down, mm -hmm. so the Chitari can't get in, but the Chardhari can get to all the people who are stuck outside. Sure. Uh, so. Tom, before we started recording, you referred to this as the boomerang issue. <laughs> now, I kind of love that boomerang got some usage here. Obviously, anyone who read Nick's run on Superior Foes of Spider-Man knows he has a soft spot for boomerang. Was it a tough pitch to get a boomerang in the book? Did Nick have to reach hard, or no, were you was, guys cool yeah. with that? He just, he just wrote the scene, pretty yep. much. And I you know, was like, oh. There he goes. It's it's boomerang. He's mm. he's going to uh, he's going to his safe spot. <laughs> uh, you know, with uh, you know, in, in terms of needing a character for this, and uh, you know, it's certainly a character he spent a lot of time uh, with, mm -hmm. uh, and that uh, you know he's he's kind of earned an, an investment in mm. uh, you know in all of those uh, pages of Superior Foes of Spider Man. And it's kind of nice to see him play with the character for a couple of pages again. Yeah, for absolutely. people that like that, uh, that like that series. Yeah. Um, we also have in just on that same scene another character Nick has used a lot, and that's Maria Hill, who has <laughs> been central to all this. What's Maria Hill's role in the Secret Empire story, and uh, where is she kind of at right now? Well, uh, in this issue, uh, Black Widow and her talk about it a little bit. She's kind of taken on this freedom fighter role mm -hmm. where she's, you know, probably a bit more extreme in her tactics than the members of the underground. Mm -hmm. um, a little more lethal, a little more willing to, you know, lose pawns if it advances her cause. Mm -hmm. um, because right before this all happened, she was ousted from S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. Uh, so Still she kind of... her S.H.I.E.L.D. uniform, though, I noticed. Yeah, well, there's no just S.H.I.E.L.D. logo. Just can't let it go. There's no, oh, there's S.H.I.E.L.D. no S.H.I.E.L.D. logo? logo. Okay. Right. Uh, but, just, just has a closet you know, full of the she's, same... Yeah, she stripped <laughs> off the patch, yeah. and she was like, got it, covered. She's like, good, this is yeah. the only outfit uh, I own. So, it's so, really comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Maria can't you know, because of the person she is, she can't help but involve herself in these things. And mm -hmm. she's got there. There's an interesting urgency to Maria Hill, where she she feels like she has to be the one to fix everything a lot of the time, right. um, by means that other people may not agree with. So she's still very much in the thick of it, despite the fact that she doesn't have an official role anymore. Got uh, it. So, and we'll see a bit more of that as the series goes on. Got it. We see both in this book and also in Uprising that came out this week, mm -hmm. we see uh, Black Widow's plans for the younger heroes. Where are we at as far as Black Widow's goals and how aligned are the younger heroes with her? That's, of course, like a big part of the story is kind of them pushing back against the training she wants to give, um, yeah. the Red Room, as it were. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think they're not willing to play as nice with Cap as, mm -hmm. you know, other characters might be that are trying to, you know, go around and, and find a way to save him. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a limit to how far they're willing to go, and Black Widow will keep, you know, pushing them on that and seeing mm -hmm. how far she can get them to go. Um, but she's playing all her cards very close to her chest right now, so it's mm -hmm. unknown, you know, how much of a role she wants them to play. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that tension is kind of what's driving that story of, of how far is she going to push them and how far will they go. Right. Uh, so, yeah. And we'll see a lot more of them coming up. Yeah. So. 
Another key player, Sam Wilson. Um, great tie-in with Captain America, Sam Wilson, this week. Uh, really got to see a lot of where Sam's at. Check in with you guys. Where is Sam at in his journey, and <laughs> <laughs> what is going to be his he's kind in, what of is it, niche? Uh, Michigan? Where is, where oh, is no, it he's, geographically? God, I don't know. Everyone's in so many different places. Because they move. Somewhere they in go, the Midwest, yeah. I think. Yeah, but it's up, it's up north because they were using the pipeline. Right. Yeah. Montana? Montana, maybe. Maybe it's Montana. It's Montana. Either Montana or Michigan. They're both M's. Yeah. 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 They're all, you know. <laughs> We've put out so only... many issues between then and yeah. now that it's like, where is everyone? Like, you, may have just, you may have just spoiled the where they're going to be next issue. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's, I think it's Montana. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. But where's Sam's head at? I mean, he's obviously had a lot of trouble with the last few months and, you know, gave up being Captain America. Now he's getting kind of dragged back into the fray of things. Where Where is he in all this? Well, again, I think that the, the cap issue that you're talking about, mm-hmm. and that's uh, that's Sam 22, if I'm remembering right. Wow. Is it? Uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I Probably, yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah, 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 yeah. that's the first of the three yes. tie-ins. The tie-ins yes. are twenty-two through twenty-four, and then there's twenty-five. Yes, well done, we've... well remembered. So, Sam uh, <laughs> twenty-two, you yes. know, really kind of you know, gets into that, and the next mm-hmm. two issues of Sam Wilson will also, uh, uh, you know, delve into exactly where his head's at. But he's, uh, you know, he's in kind of a, a, a dark place in a sense. Uh, you know, he he chose to take up the mantle of Captain America when. Uh, Steve wasn't physically able to do the job. Uh, you know, he uh, did his best to try and be the Captain America that the world needed and to do the right thing and to do the hard thing. And at every turn, he was sort of, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, put upon and uh, derided and, and uh, uh, you know, knocked down to, mm-hmm. the, to the point where he sort of turned his back on the idea of being... Captain America, and even really almost being a superhero at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, we see a little more in the Captain America issue than in the, the main Secret Empire issue, you know, where he was and what he was doing when the actual attack went down and when the discovery that Steve was Hydra came out and so forth. And yeah, unfortunately, he chose the worst possible time. Yeah. To- <laughs> or, or you know, more specifically, you know, Steve helped to machine yes. the best possible time right. for for him to go there because, again, going back and looking at their interactions and, mm-hmm. and you know, a couple of key points, uh, you know, Steve has been putting pressure on Sam all along in mm-hmm. the Captain America role to mm-hmm. sideline him, uh, and that's worked pretty effectively up until this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We see the Avengers, uh, Captain America's Hydra Avengers, off on missions trying to collect these cosmic cube fragments. I love the little aside where he just says, they, they don't even show up, but basically just a badass Andrea Sorrentino drawing a Black Panther <laughs> and, and an implication yeah. that the mission to Wakanda did not go very well. Right. Yes. I thought that was very effective, more effective than even mm-hmm. like showing the full deal. Mm-hmm. But they go to Atlantis, and uh, we've got... No, no. Pr- Namor's not present in this issue. I know he's going to be showing up in Cap Steve Rogers, yeah. but kind of the specter of Namor hanging over. I want to talk both about why 
why this is important, why it's important that uh, one of the shards is in Atlantis, why Namor and Cap's relationship is important. And also we get to know the Avengers a little more, but still not fully understanding why certain members are on the team. Right. How are you guys kind of unspooling that? Are we going to learn more at some point, or do you want to just kind of well, no, leave it to the imagination? Everybody, you know, everything will be explained in the in the, the fullness of, mm. of time. Okay. Uh, you know, the, the, the characters that most people are most concerned about mm-hmm. uh, you'll you'll get all the the block and tackle on in issue five great mm-hmm. um, you know and uh, everybody else you know most of them you can kind of figure out if you go you know if you're reading Deadpool right now you know exactly why Deadpool is right. there um, you know if you've been reading the Captain America books you know why Taskmaster and Black Ant are there mm-hmm. so uh, Avengers 10 is a basically a standalone issue where we see everything from the perspective of Cap's Avengers team. Uh, So uh, we'll see what's going on with with Odin's son and Scarlet Witch and Vision and and Superior Octopus and and a bunch of the other team members and and see kind of what a a standard mission is for them Mm. uh, and what they're having to deal with. Um, including how they're dealing with each other, mm-hmm. uh, so it's a it's a glimpse into how that team is operating and why it's operating. Cool. And so, what are we going to see once Namor and Steve Rogers finally uh, butt heads? Give me a little preview of that confrontation because I think that's one everyone's really looking forward to. Um. Well, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> it's not going to be a, a, a simple thing. It'll play no. out in a couple of places, and certainly after the events of, of Empire uh, Three, uh, you know that, that 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 kind of punctuates it before anything has really mm-hmm. even you know happened in terms of them meeting. But we see them. You know, they'll meet in Cap. They'll meet in Secret Empire. Mm-hmm. There's also stuff with Namor in uh, Brave New World, mm-hmm. the, the, the anthology right. series. Right. The, the, the invader story. Yeah, the lead story in that is an invader story that Namor is, uh, you know, uh, central in. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's a he's a, uh, a key player because he's one of the few characters that goes all the way back to the beginning with Cap. Right. Uh, you know, both in terms of Cap's actual superhero career and the publishing history. Mm-hmm. Um, that there's really not anybody else. I guess I guess, you could argue Bucky. You could argue right. uh, original Human Torch. The, yeah, the original Torch. Yeah, uh, but the original Torch isn't around as much anymore. Right. Yeah. Uh, although he is in that Invader story. So yeah. It's not like he's gone. It's not yeah. like Toro's gone. But yeah, they're not as they're not as central as some of the other characters. Namor's the most fun. Though. Yeah. yeah. And the other the other <laughs> advantage with Namor is he's another world leader who's sure. facing down a Hydra regime that wants sure. to expand. Uh, so not just from a personal level with Cap, he's also concerned for what is going to happen to his kingdom. Right. Uh, so that's where some of that tension comes from. So we saw coming up, I think it's issue number four, has Ultron on the cover, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think a lot of people, when that cover first came out, were just going, Ultron? Mm-hmm. What's Ultron doing in this story? I was one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <that's> <laughs> the Ultron moment in this issue, those two pages, mm-hmm. honestly is the creepiest I've found the character. <laughs> and part of it's Sorrentino's drawing, yep. but a large part of it's Nick's writing. Mm-hmm. Probably the creepiest I've found the character since Ultron Unlimited mm-hmm. all those years ago. It was just very scary. Mm-hmm. How did Nick pitch you guys on using Ultron in the story, and how did you craft this great little moment with him, and what's to come with that character? 
Well, again, this is all. This is, these are all ideas that that sure. you know, Nick had and brought to the table. So mm-hmm. it's not like at any point there was it was me going, "Hey, why don't you?" Use, use Ultron. Uh, Ultron. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, Nick came in with with a barrel of stuff, and mm-hmm. honestly, most of it was me going, "Okay, you can't do that one. Right. You don't have that one. We can't get this mm-hmm. one. Right, right. This character's tied up in other stuff." And you know, I I have a very simple uh, rule when it comes to Ultron, honestly. Um, because uh, as the Avengers editor and the Avengers editor for a long time, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I am well aware that the Avengers only have two villains that are worth dirt. Mm. Um, and consequently, uh, and especially when I when I started editing on the book, both of those villains had become, yeah. you know, sort of slapped around laughing stocks yes. after appearing in a lot of not so great stories or stories that were perfectly fine, but that kind of treated them as second rate talent Mm -hmm. Uh, and so you know ever since I came on my guiding principle and and the thing people have fought with me about every time they've wanted to do a Kang story an Ultron story particularly outside of Avengers is I am a believer that if Ultron is in the story then Ultron is the story Mm -hmm. that Ultron is too big a character to just be a uh, you know a walkthrough or a right. you know hey you know uh, a claw zapped him into the sun or <laughs> or or uh, you know he got plinked yeah. or you know Daredevil like stuck a billy club down his throat or mm. or, or whatever um, you know so you know using Ultron in the way he we seem to have him uh, here seems like it's counter to that hmm. uh, but once you actually read issue four. Uh, you'll see that maybe it's not so counter. Uh, you know that it's a it's a it's a it's a pretty good use of Ultron by Nick. Yeah. You know he 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 took that note to to heart, uh, and you know he kind of had to convince me. Uh, you know that that uh, you know we weren't going to be just kind of jobbing Ultron through, mm-hmm. um, but we're actually going to be uh, you know treating him as the the stature of character that I need him to be to keep him. <laughs> Uh, you know, Hale and Hardy and on that, that Avengers uh, level. Cool. Uh, and he also, you know, has the other advantage with the particular iteration of, of Ultron, the one that uh, Rick Remender left us yep. with, mm-hmm. where, you know, Ultron's kind of infused together with Hank Pym. Mm-hmm. And that makes this a much more interesting situation because now you've got, uh, you know, a, a Cap who's radically changed, a Tony Stark who's not really himself, right. and a Hank Pym who's not himself. So you right. really do have a, a confluence of... You know, kind of the core Avengers characters there, mm-hmm. um, but they're all in kind of a strange uh, position. Mm-hmm. But those those old relationships uh, are at the heart of the dynamic that mm-hmm. that gets played out there. So, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun for anybody that that that's familiar with the history of the characters and Absolutely. and that's invested in in uh, you know all the stories that they've been in together. Yeah, and uh, Jerry Duggan's done a lot in Uncanny Avengers to build what we've been loosely calling Pimtron into a very creepy character um, who kind of has this love-hate relationship with the Avengers where I, I think in one of the issues Vision tells him that Ultron's fundamental problem is not that he hates the Avengers, it's that he wants to be yeah. the Avengers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so when you merge that with like a semi-deranged Hank Pym, mm-hmm. like that's going to be a big problem for mm-hmm. them in many ways. Yeah. Uh, so so we're grateful to, to Jerry for, for building that up so nicely in a way that we could just kind of be like, 
there's the creepy guy. Like, yeah. use him. So can't see hand signals on the podcast. <laughs> but That's true. Just, just, just a note. I gestured. Alana used, she gestured. <laughs> right. It was right. a good. It was a good gesture. Yes. All right, guys. To kind of wrap things up, uh, you don't end these issues easily. Uh, we had a, the huge thing with uh, the other Steve Rogers in issue number two. Issue number three, another huge ending. Um, something I didn't even know was coming. So mm-hmm. it was a cool bit for me. Without giving away too much, how did how did this come to be? Um, uh, again, it, it very much the same yeah. thing that I said two two seconds ago. <laughs> it was another. This was another thing that Nick just Nick just keeps Nick tossing just, them out just there. pitched. Nice, uh, and it was one of the ones that that uh, you know we were we were able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, he's been very good and very structured at making sure that every issue has some kind of big bang in it mm-hmm. beyond the obvious big bang mm-hmm. um, you know and so I think so far like every single one starting with the zero has had some moment in it that people didn't realize was was going to be there and then you know kind of knocked them back in their their seats mm-hmm. uh, and hopefully we're going to be able to continue that all the way through that it wasn't just these first three issues and now you know we're going to go into you know whatever you know garbage time mm-hmm. but that you know four has a nice a strong ending and five has a really shocking ending and six has wow. a big thing that happens and at seven has a crazy thing that goes on and uh, you know and, and, and all stuff that you didn't necessarily expect at the outset you know mm-hmm. until we showed that Ultron cover nobody knew that Ultron was going to be a part of this and now even even at this point people can't quite grasp what role Ultron's going to play in all this how mm-hmm. does that work uh, and Ultron is not the only a character like that who's you know going to be showing up or making an appearance and so forth right. and you know the the character that shows up at the end of of three is the same kind of of thing you know we haven't yeah. talked about him anywhere we haven't shown him in any promotion or haven't really mentioned yeah. him that was that was the cool part uh, and so you know you you get to that moment and it's a big uh, you know, it's it's a big wow. It's a big surprise. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, again, we, you know, we're we're kind of uh, you know, trying to fat pack this with. Uh, you know, as 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 much electrifying goodness as we as we can, um, you know, so that people just you know, again, every every issue they tell me we know exactly how this all ends and it's mm. obvious and they have three million different theories and maybe among them bits and pieces of what different people will, you know, with with our fans they're very savvy about. Our, our characters and our storytelling and so forth and so it's not like people don't figure out bits and pieces of what we're, we're doing but uh, uh, you know there's enough people who have enough different theories that um, you know there's no there's no consensus that mm-hmm. oh it's clearly going to be this and even among the ones where there's consensus those people are not correct <laughs> and part of the way that that works is you know, they don't know some of the stuff that's going to be coming up. So, you know, holding back information like the end of three mm-hmm. uh, and the end of two, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, just just helps us, uh, you know, to, to keep the surprises coming and to keep things fresh all the way through to the end of the story, um, which hopefully we'll be able to, to manage. Pretty cool. All right, guys, that's uh, that's Secret Empire number three. Thanks for stopping by again. We will hopefully see you in a few weeks for uh, Secret Empire number four. For, for sure. Cool. And uh, uh, also out is uh, Uprising. Yep, Uprising, Uprising is, is out. out today. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't the, know when this is going up, but this today will go up when on we Friday, recording so it's it. out. Yes. It's out. <laughs> it's available. You can get it. It's yeah. out. One, you should. Exciting. One of the three, the three bridge books. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and those three bridge books... Uh, you know they're all uh, you know they're all critical parts of the story. Mm. 
um, you know, while they're off to the side and, and, you know, there is a certain amount of sidiness to them, Mm -hmm. they're not unimportant in any way. Um, So, uh, uh, you know, again, the proof is kind of in the pudding pudding there. People are going to have to read them and then see what happens and go, oh, I see why that was... Mm-hmm. was as, as uh, necessary as, uh, uh, you know, it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Uprising, the first of those is out now, and then the other two uh, will follow in the next the couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Thanks, guys. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. It's the West Coast, show me and the Wolfman. It's the West Coast, show me and the Wolfman. It's the West Coast, show me and the Wolfman. It's the West Coast, show me and the Wolfman. It's the West Coast, show me and the Wolfman. It's the West Coast, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello, this week in Lights, This is Dog. I'm Mayor Mark Strom, joined by... Essa-Saturday, Christine Dim. Und Stromstein ist solo today. <laughs> because the games team are in the middle of a uh, heavy lifting project. Literally. Um, <laughs> and our doors are tiny. Yes. So, uh... <laughs> That sounds very vague and weird, but trust me, it, it all makes sense. Um, Wes, what what we got going on this week? All right, let's cover let's cover uh, Marvel's games. Marvel games. What we got? Christine. Uh, actually, I'll cover D twenty three as uh, I uh, uh, posted that story. Um, so at D twenty three Expo twenty seventeen, which is July fourteenth to sixteenth in uh, the Anaheim Convention Center. Uh, fans will be able to get their hands on some of the latest offerings from Marvel games, including uh, uh, console games like Lego Marvel Super Heroes 2, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite, uh, Marvel Heroes Omega, uh, as well as you'll be able to play and see some cool stuff from Marvel Future Fight and Marvel Puzzle Quest. Uh, that will all be happening at the, like I say, the Anaheim Convention Center, July 14th to 16th. Come out, say hi to us. We may be there. I don't know if I'm going to be there. Who knows? Just Christine a few days be there. before San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah, just, I might be hiding in a, in a cocoon, waiting, <laughs> uh, saving my energy for San Diego. Um, but yeah, that is, uh, that's going on. Uh, I guess we'll sort of mix things, since we're talking about D23 right now, because we have also some uh, Marvel Studio stuff going on at Marvel at uh, D23. Yeah. You'll be able to see props and costumes from Thor Ragnarok and uh, Black Panther, of course, coming out in theaters in November in Fe- November of this year and then February of next year. Mm-hmm. So come on, see all that stuff. And also at D23, we have a couple panels, uh, one being uh, the fan favorite Cup of Joe on Friday, July 14th. And we also have a Marvel animation presentation that same day. Excellent. Uh, so come on out, check out all that rad stuff. Jumping back into Marvel games, Christine, take us away with Maestro. <laughs> well, Maestro is bringing multiverse mayhem to Marvel Avengers Academy. Um, this event is happening now, and you know, Maestro—he's hungry for power. He's trying to con- uh, conquer all the various alternate Earths throughout the multiverse, and yeah, and the kids are the kids are in peril here. <laughs> Meanwhile, I hear Doc Ock has his tentacles all over Marvel Puzzle Quest. That's true. He it's also the uh, the classic Doc Ock look. So um, if you're like classic, to- classic. Let me see this. 
this image. Oh, yeah, that is classic Doc yeah. Ock. Look at that. So if you're looking to spice up your Marvel Puzzle Quest roster with some of the classic Superman villains, uh, definitely Sp- don't... Spider-Man villains? Uh, yeah. What did I say? It sounded like you said a character from a different company. Oh, I will have to edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> or let's just leave it. Okay. You meant uh, Spider-Man. We yes. know what you meant. <laughs> yeah, Spider-Man villain. Uh, yeah, so he is he is getting the five-star treatment. And um, yeah, check it out. And over in the world of Marvel Heroes, uh, we are celebrating the game's anniversary on PC. It's... Happy anniversary! Oh boy, is it four years old now? Is it five years old now? Several years. It's either four or five years old now. God, that makes me feel old. Um, Jumping into the world of... All TV animation. All TV animation. Tell us more about TV animation, Christine. Well, uh, so we all know... And, and explain why we don't have Harrison Wilcox on this podcast. I don't, I don't know why Harrison is Oh, on. you were supposed to make up some excuse that maligned Harrison's reputation. Oh, he's probably just spending time with his adorable new baby. You, give, <laughs> you guys give Wilcox too much credit. <laughs> Um, so Earth's Mightiest Heroes are uniting once again to fight the foes no single hero can withstand alone uh, with Marvel's Avengers Secret Wars, which is debuting its fourth season with a one-hour premiere next uh, later this month on June 17th. But to kick things off, starting today and running through Wednesday next week, we will be debuting six original shorts daily on Disney XD's app. So in the shorts, you'll get to meet the newest Avengers in like flashback sequences, learn about their backgrounds, superpowers, and ultimately what makes them a hero. And then this is all Disney XD things. So then also in the world of Disney XD, uh, we announced Marvel's Ant-Man. Uh, we have animated shorts that will be premiering next week on Friday, June 10th, and Saturday, June 11th. Friday. No. Friday, Fri- Friday June 9th. Right? What's the date? Isn't today the second? Yes. Oh. Next Friday's June 9th and Saturday June 10th. Yes. I am losing track of my No, mind. wait. Isn't Saturday June 10th and, fr- and Sunday June 11th they debut on? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Who's on first? I'm pretty sure it's... I'm pretty sure it's... Uh, well, maybe it's not. Check out marvel.com and your local listings. <laughs> yes. Yeah, sorry. I'm just out of my mind. But in these animated shorts, um, you meet... You know, uh, we have voice uh, Josh, Ke- uh, voiced by Josh Keaton. The shrinking hero will fight evil alongside the Wasp and Hank Pym, and you'll also see um, he'll just have some breaks where he helps out Cassie with her homework. Uh, Aww. So it's just we have six two-minute shorts. Great. And then lastly, the first Marvel Spider-Man sneak peek is out today. So check it up on our YouTube, Marvel.com, and our social channels. Right. That is. It. That's it. Go. Who, who are we kicking to? New York? Oh, we're kicking it to our Twim. Twim URC. Oh, yeah. We're kicking it to Twim URC. Stick around. You get to hear more of Christine and I plus Ben and Ryan talk about the epic executioner song. Stay tuned. All right, everyone, welcome to possibly the most anticipated This Week in Marvel Unlimited Reading Club of all time. We've been promising Executioner Song for, I don't know, something like 200 episodes, and we are here, and we've got the full 
team assembled. We've got Ryan. Hi. We've got Strami. Hello. And we've even got Christine. Hi. We all read the first six issues of Executioner's Song. This was a crossover that took place back in the 90s. Uh, Ryan and I have a particular love for it. Strami, I guess you have a pretty big love for it, too. Oh, hell yeah. This was the first story. I'm trying to think. Yeah, I think this is right. I think this is the first storyline that I like actively collected uh, <clears throat> when I was a kid. Yeah, for me, kind of the same. I, I was just getting into comics, and... This was definitely the first X-Men story I picked up. Um, I remember it was funny as I was, I was reading the issues is that I have every issue of this except the first one because I jumped in with chapter four, the first X-Force chapter, and then I was able to get the two before that, but I was never able to get the first one. So I reread the first issue here pr pretty intently. And then when I got into the other issues, um, I kind of just, you know, remembered them perfectly. I, I honestly the X-Factor issue drawn by Jay Lee, I could do from memory. Um, but yeah, this was, Strami, I believe you described it as, if you grew up in the 90s, this was your Dark Phoenix saga? Yes, true. Ryan, what was your, uh, what was your first encounter with Executioner's Song like? I remember walking home from my comic shop when I was a kid. Uh, it was called Gotham Manor, and it was fantastic. <laughs> and I remember walking home in the the issues were polybagged and had the trading cards in them and it was like the greatest thing in the world for me and I know for us and it's interesting because this wasn't the first of these big crossovers I mean what was it like the year before was uh, Extinction, Extinction Agenda, Agenda? I think. Yeah. yeah 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 that's like two years before yeah right so it was recent before that but it, I didn't read that when it was coming out I same. was, yeah, I think we were like all starting to read around the same time. And this was the, the first big one that hit as I was just ju jumping in. This also just felt like, I mean, you know, we'll, we'll talk about how great it is and, and all this stuff or how not great it is if uh, once Christine starts talking. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I just remember the thing I loved about this is they crammed everything into it. Even like looking back at something like, Extinction Agenda was, you know, it was all the characters, but it was against one villain. This was like every available villain was brought in. Every yep. character had something to do. Uh, there yep. was so much, there, there was just so much going on. I know, but I, I was, as I was reading through these first six issues, the first thing I thought was like, you would never be able, if you ever made a movie that were, that was like a direct adaptation of this. Yeah. It, it wouldn't work because there are just like so many characters and everything. It works on the page because right. it works within like the larger context of the ongoing storylines and everything. But they really just like, there are three villains and two of the, th no. Yeah. Two of the three villains, three, I guess all three of the three villains have their own like henchmen, like yep. Yep. as the mutant liberation front. Uh, Sinister has co-opted Apocalypse's four horsemen, and Apocalypse has his um. Oh God, what were the, the Dark, Dark Riders. Riders? The Dark Riders, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean, there's a, part of the strength of this story is the villains and just how great the villains are. I mean, Strife, of course, is the central villain, and he's got such a personal stake in this story, and it's just written so beautifully. But just that variety of you've got Apocalypse is kind of the 
apocalypses you've never seen him before, really like vulnerable and having to somewhat team up with the X-Men. And then Sinister is just the total wild card. It was, it, it was a great trio of villains and you really felt like the heroes were in trouble. In these, uh, in the first six issues, I, I think the things that I always loved were the side villains. Mm-hmm. Uh, growing up, like you have the uh, what, the four horsemen, or yep. you know, like Calaman showing up the way he does, and the way famine affects Beast in that one issue. Oh I, God! I, I always so think about that. Yeah, um, yeah. You've got them, and then the Dark Riders. They show up, and they're like the way they're drawn when they first come together, it's like they look so cool. And, mm-hmm. you know, even though they per- pretty much always get their asses kicked, they, they totally. look so cool. They <laughs> look so fun. Um, and then, jobbers. Yeah. It's perpetual jobbers, um, <laughs> but they look so awesome. And then apocalypse being vulnerable and especially being disgusting. Like he's melting. Right. Be- because yeah. he'd already been, seemingly killed by cyclops you know whatever like a year or so before a couple months before and now he shows up and he's oh it's so gross the thing for me about apocalypse in this story was i think all i knew of apocalypse when i read executioner's song was he had an action figure because he was one of the action figures in the line and i just i i because i hadn't read x factor I wasn't familiar with Apocalypse. He was just this, I, I didn't know what his deal was. I actually thought, I was like, oh, he's so goofy looking. He's got the giant A on his buckle. But that issue, Ryan, um, that you were talking about where Beast, I think it's the same one where Beast gets uh, affected by famine, but the one where the, the gold team goes and basically fights Apocalypse and he just kicks their ass. I was like, oh, holy crap. This is a, this is a big deal villain. And not only does he kick their ass, but he kicks their ass by shape-shifting his hand into a giant fist, which I completely yeah. forgot he could do until I reread this. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Blacklist used to be like this weird shape-shifter who could make his fist really big. Yeah, they don't use that enough anymore, for sure. All right, before we get too into it, I don't want to cut Christine off. Now, Christine, this is your first time reading Executioner's song. What was your initial impression from these six issues? That it was very 90s. And that they all looked like American gladiators with their abs. Yes. (laughs) And there was, like, a lot going on. There was four different teams happening. er, Before, full disclosure, before this, uh, I got into the office, and I just hear Christine call at me off the cubicle wall. So what's the difference between X-Factor and X-Force? Oh, my God. Christine. Like, one is a militant group on the run. One is a go- yeah. team of government agents. I knew that. I just didn't know why they were separated and why yeah. there are so many different X teams. Yeah. Oh, well, oh, back in the 90s, there were so many different X teams? <laughs> <laughs> so oh. I was trying to like keep down like the breakdown in my head, and I was just like, I've never heard a lot of these X-Men before. <laughs> There's, there's a lot of characters. There's, um, a, there's so many characters. You know, it really dawned on me, like, you know, when we do Secret Empire or something like that, now we always have the page at the beginning that gives you little headshots of all the characters. That was not the case in Executioner's <laughs> Song. You were, left, you, you were left on your own to figure out who the hell all these guys were. And yeah, and some of them look like each other because there's those two girls that look like wolves. Feral and rotten. Yeah, and I was like, I can't tell who's who. Yep. One, is, one is brown, one is orange. Yep, there you go. 
color palette is very close to each other. <laughs> one is Scottish, one is other. Yeah, I think she's. I think she's from New York. New York. <laughs> um, I thought she from an alternate. I can't remember what Farrell's deal was. Yeah, there was a lot of characters, but I mean. Kudos to the writers for giving a lot, like so many of the characters, nice little moments. Like just in this, I was, I was, I, I think the ultimate one is where Psylocke gets that whole page to herself just to give a little like uh, soliloquy over Professor X. Like all the, oh, yeah, all the characters, just, yeah. No, I was just gonna say the one where she's contemplating killing him. You mean? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's deep. It's it's deep. I mean, it's like it, it's crazy stuff. All right. Um, wait, wait, hold on. funny just being like Cyclops, like pining after Cyclops uh, in the poster I, at the diner. Yeah. I like how you say pining. He yeah, is straight up like grossly <laughs> lusting after her. Yeah. Yeah, I like his argument to Jean when Jean is like, why are you thinking about Cyclops? And he's just like, look, she's an incredibly sexy woman, but you're yep. the only one for me. Like, why would you say that, Cyclops? <laughs> well, how is that helping your case at all? Don't say that. <laughs> oh, man. The Scott worst. Summers is the worst. <laughs> he is. Scott, uh, Scott Summers is my favorite <laughs> Marvel character next to Daredevil, but I will never make an argument that Scott Summers is a good, decent human being. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, so I was reading, I read this the, these first six issues on uh, Marvel Unlimited, and then I went to my bookshelf. I wanted to look at the trade to see if there was anything else in the trade mm -hmm. uh, beforehand. And there was there was a uh, Fabian's uh, Fabian, one of the writers of the series. He had, uh, I guess, a, the preface, the foreword for a collection from 1994. Mm -hmm. um, so he wrote uh, basically how the story came together, talking about how they had an editorial summit and they had the different writers and everything there. And this was shortly after um, Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, Wells Partasio, like. They this all is left. right after they all left. Yeah, this like is right like the after first story after they all left. Yep, right after they all left to form Image, and there was this summit happening, and it was in Westchester, and there's all these things, and Joe Casada was there because he was going to be coming on to X Factor as an artist mm -hmm. and all this other stuff. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, but I found it interesting when we were talking about the villains that they. Fabian actually wanted to have Magneto return really in the story. Yeah, I remember hearing this. Yeah, he was like, I, "Let's just th throw everything in there, just make it like the craziest thing." And they they smartly pumped the brakes on that one and held yeah. Magneto for a while. But there's even reference to like Magneto pulling out Wolverine's adamantium, which wouldn't have oh, been done for yeah. a little while after this and really interesting things if you get the tr it's the most recent collection of yeah, well, of the story it has that in there That's yeah because i think i think that story beat if i remember correctly of uh mcneil pulling out wolverine damantium was suggested by peter david at this right. summit if yes, I remember there, the line in there in, in Fabian's um, note basically says uh, Peter David makes a joke. Oh, why don't we just have Magneto pull out Wolverine's uh, pull the the adamantium off Wolverine's skeleton as a joke, and the rest of the room laughed. But then they were like, "Huh, that sounds pretty great." And, and he's basically like, "Wait, what? No." <laughs> Cut to a year later. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing in the trade actually has a recap not a character breakdown but it has this cr 
crazy condensed recap of of trying to get you caught up if you're just jumping to the story on your own but it's it's so wonderful and so dense and it's <laughs> it it's like the craziest thing to read if you had no idea what was going on I want to talk a little bit. We kind of got into it with the Scott, Gene, and Psylocke stuff, but the first chapter, the first issue, you basically get like a scattershot of vignettes of what's going on in the X-Men's personal lives. And I thought this was smart because as the story wears on, it's just action, action, action. You know, you'll get a little allusion to Colossus being upset that his brother committed suicide or something like Mm -hmm. that, or something uh, with... uh, a lot of stuff with Bishop in this, but we, we had so much in the first issue, just like delving into their personal lives and it was, and it was effective. It made you care about these characters right off the bat. I want to know what you guys thought of that particular aspect of the story. Yeah. I like that they were just shopping at the grocery store with their shopping list. And you thought like, I don't know what pork rinds are. Um, but it's also just seeing, um, you know, like Archangel's like date and, you know, like how, even though, when he turned 13, he got these wings and everything that he still knows how to show the ladies some love. <laughs> and it's just like also just seeing like the banter between all of them while they're all just at the park um, waiting to see the, like the concert to start. Can we talk about yeah. the fashion too? Like, especially Ooh. at the park <laughs> Bishop wearing that he's like tank top and he's got <laughs> camouflage <laughs> pants on, but he's got that, he's got this, amazing glasses throughout the, the series. Yep. And then Rogue is wearing some weird spacesuit looking thing. Yep. It's yep. fantastic. Very 80s, 90s. <laughs> Ryan, do you want to talk about... It's like an aerobic the... video outfit. Oh, yeah. Ryan, do you want to talk about the moment between uh, Gambit and Storm? Oh, the dance. Yeah. Gambit. <laughs> He's the worst. <laughs> uh, and then, like, you know, he comes off as, you know... Pretend like char- she's she's charmed by him. Get uh-huh. out of here with that. I don't want to hear any of that. Don't want any <laughs> part of it. Um, one of the things I like again in the first chapter, and we'll move on after this, is um, before the guy we think is Cable shows up and shoots Professor X. They dig heavy into the mutant metaphor in this issue. The whole yeah. idea that yeah. this is like a unity concert, and Professor X was a really good speech. I, I think Scott Lobdell wrote that issue. Um, what did we think about what did we think about the mutant metaphor being hit so hard in the story and then almost immediately abandoned because the rest of the story has nothing to do with the mutants being like an oppressed anything. Well, this is all or, or do you think otherwise? Well, I don't know. I mean it is and isn't dropped because this is something that I was going to bring up uh, earlier when we were talking about the villains, is that one of the things and maybe this isn't so explicit within the story itself, unless you know, like, the larger story context. Um, so, Christine, please correct me if I am completely, if you got none of this. But one of the things about the villains, and particularly the, the teams at this point in X-Men history, is the villains and the teams that are featured in Executioner's Song each represent a different view of what mutant kind is and and what their you know destiny is and with the teams you have three different ideologies between x-men x-factor and x-force about how to live uh in peaceful coexistence with humans and with the villains you have three different sort of um 
views of what the future of mutant kind is or should be. With Apocalypse, you've got the survival of the fittest. With uh, Sinister, you've got the whole sort of like manipulation and genetic manipulation more into the science of y'all. And then with Stripe, you've got sort of the bad side of Cable, where he's sort of just much more sort of, you know, uh, a mutant terrorist, more or less. So it is kind of dropped, but in my mind, it's still there because with every interaction that you have between villains and heroes or heroes and heroes or villains and villains, all those different ideas color those interactions to one degree or another. And it may not be as explicit as it is in that first issue where you've got Xavier making that great speech. Mm-hmm. But I'd argue that it's it's all still there under the surface, and it's one of the driving uh, tensions and sources of conflict in this crossover. Right. For sure, man. Well, let's talk about the end of the first issue where Cable shows up and shoots Professor X, gets into it a little bit with Archangel. Professor X being in peril, I felt like, added another layer to this story. Like, this is the guy who represents the dream. This is the guy who is inspirational to all these X-Men and he immediately is taken off the board. Ryan, were you, when you were reading this, did you know who Cable was and were you shocked that he shot Professor X? Like what were you making of all this as it happened? I have no idea. That was so <laughs> long ago. I don't remember what my, my initial reactions were. Cause I don't, I think by this point I was reading regular X-Men mm-hmm. probably was reading uncanny. Um, I, I, you know what? I, I was reading X-Force from the start. Um, I wasn't really reading X-Factor right. at this point. So I must I, I knew who Cable was. Um, I It it was obviously a, like a huge surprise. I don't really remember knowing much about Strife right. at that point. Because um, when I think I'm, of Strife, I'm not, I think of I'm not sure of many story. people knew much about Strife. Okay, cool. Point. Yeah. Then... Well, that was the thing, too. Like, I think by the time... I jumped into the story. It had already been revealed that Strife was the guy who shot him and not Cable. So I didn't really get that initial, like, oh, my God, did Cable really do this? That's why I was curious, you guys who may have read it from the start, if well, you had a different point of view. didn't – I I mean, I just, re, I just reread these, but we don't even get the definitive answer by the end of, si- of the sixth part that Strife – is well, no, I, th- I think we do. Sinister shows up and tells the X-Men, he's like, by the way, it was Strife who shot Professor Xavier. No, y'all doesn't got, he just drop a note and Val Cooper... Is- oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And that's right, that's right. Uh, yeah, because yeah, they have has- a big display of yep. Strife on the screen. Yeah, um, but we didn't know the, the deeper connection. No, 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 no. That's all to come in uh, part two of this epic that we'll cover in a couple weeks. But, yeah, I... I- I, I didn't get as hit as hard by the cable revelation, the cable fake out. And I didn't even know that him and Strife had the same face when I started reading this. So that was all, it was crazy. I mean, we're, we're, we're going to talk a lot more about Strife in the second half because he is the shining star of this story far and away, but he doesn't get as much to do in this first half. One, one of Christine's questions to me before recording this was, why are there two cables? To which I responded, we'll save that for the podcast. It's too long of an explanation. <laughs> yeah. Well, then I cried. And I was like, there's just, you know, before holograms and concerts happen now, this is like the source of it. 
people using yeah. holograms. It's true. <laughs> it's true. They were uh, they were ahead of their time. Yeah. Um, I, I I do. But to answer your question, then when I when I first read this. I did know who Cable was, and I was kind of shocked. I'm like, whoa, what the hell? Why is he shooting Professor Xavier? So I did have that moment, though I don't think at the time I knew who Stripe was or the fact that they shared the same face. Otherwise, I may have guessed it, but at the time, I was just like, wait, why is Cable shooting everybody? Yeah. I also like cable throughout the first half of this story as he's got a little bit of like this sardonic wit he's a little bit snarky yeah i like this um he's kind of a jerk but you know you're uh, you're rooting for him he's not necessarily like the straight hard-nosed general you know scary dude leader dude he's he's got a little bit of a a cool personality that i think meshes really well with uh the characters he sort of deals with in the middle of the story well, when he gets paired up with Wolverine and Bishop, it's just a lot of... It is, that is the best thing ever. It's the best thing ever. And you have that great X-Factor issue where Wolverine and Bishop uh, get in a big fight with Cable, and Wolverine punches him with the claws but retracts him at the last second and says, uh, basically says, I believe you. Um, it's just, it's, oh man, it's great stuff. The three of them play off of each other so well. But thinking about that X-Factor issue makes me think about Jay Lee's art. Um, I want to talk about all the artists... Because, as Ryan and I mentioned on the podcast last time, it's a murderer's row. You've got Brandon Peterson, you've got Jay Lee, you've got Greg Capullo, and you've got Andy Kubert. Uh, a lot of these guys really early on in their career. But to me, the X-Factor issues really stuck out as being kind of this weird outlier. Because, number one, Jay Lee's stuff looked completely different than all the yeah. other stuff. But then you also had, you know, Fabian Isaiah and Scott Lobdell, who were writing the three other books, had a very operatic Claremont way of telling the story. Peter David, you know, he didn't, he, he wasn't, you know, making his things completely stick out like a sore thumb, but it's definitely a different sort of writing and X factor, you know, it was a different sort of wit and stuff like that. So what did you guys think about X factor being kind of an outlier? I, I remember very distinctly not liking it as oh. uh six or seven year old reading this because I don't think so, I liked Jay Lee's art when I was a kid. But what? Yeah, yeah, when I was a kid. I mean looking at it now I can really appreciate it Beautiful. and I love Beautiful. it. Yeah. But I do remember like when I was little seven year old Strami reading this, I was like, What's this? I don't get it. <laughs> um but now in retrospect I'm like, shut up, seven year old Strami, you don't know anything. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's those are some of the best chapters. Yeah. Yeah. I was taken by Jay Lee's art from, from the get-go. Like, mm-hmm. I remember, like, especially the use of blacks and shading yes. here. Like, when he's got a lot of characters that are mostly black with little bits of color or little bits of white. Like, I'm looking at a panel where it's Richter versus Strong Guy, and Strong Guy is mostly in silhouette, and so you just see these white circles for his eyes and the shock of white for his hair. Right. And it's so cool. And there's other, he does that a lot. And that obviously goes to um, not just him, uh, but the full art team as I'm scrolling through Unlimited to tell you. So it's inks by Al Milgram and colors uh, by. I thought it was Danny Mickey. Uh, no. Sure. Uh, at least for the first part that I'm looking at right now. Uh, for chapter two of the whole series, but the first part from X Factor. And right. colored by Brad Van Kata. Uh, it. it I think, hand for me, the, like 
some of my favorite art from my childhood. It was just, it was so different because you were so used to kind of like the smooth Jim Lee style, which the other three artists were kind of in that camp. Um, and then Jay Lee stuff. Just Not only that, the violence oh. in uh, the X Factor issues in particular, like I'm thinking of when they have the X Factor versus X Force fight and Wolf Spain and Feral just like tear into each other and it's got this black yeah. blood. Yeah. Fine. What'd you think of that, Christine? I thought it was intense. That's why I couldn't tell like who was who for which team. Mm-hmm. But uh, I totally love the takedown, and especially for, you know, the X-Factor being kind of lacking in resources and, you know, experience, they held their own really well against, you know, the X-Men and the X-Factor when uh, x four no, X-Factor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it was, it was, like, awesome that, you know, like, these are young, scrappy kids who, you know, who held their own. Yeah. I, I like I like to think that Christine that uh, this premiere C was essentially us shoving Executioner's song at Christine and going it was the nineties you figure it out. <laughs> well, this was definitely a good crash course in uh, all the all the different X Men, and I was like telling Sean, I was like, is Taliban the Taliban here the one that was in Logan? And he said yes. Yeah, you get to meet all sorts of different crazy characters. Yeah. I, I I was an X-Force kid. X-Force was my favorite. Um, I liked, I always liked the younger heroes, the teenage heroes. So to me, I really dug them being kind of this wild card maverick team that was going off and doing their own thing. And, you know, they were, I, I liked them fighting with the X-Men. That, uh, these early parts, eventually we get the team all together, you know, going against Mutant Liberation Front and all that. But those initial skirmishes, the X-Factor versus X-Force fight, and then the whole X-Men basically hunting down X-Force and trying to take them in, those were probably yeah. my, those were some of my favorite parts of the story. Yeah, and, and particularly some of my favorite parts were just the fact that, you know, this was the first time since, uh, extinction agenda that really all of these people were in the same room together. Yeah. So you got like all these great reunions, like uh, Ron being reunited with the uh, with the other uh, new mutants who went off with X Force. You know, just the fact that you had all of these uh, teams coming together for the first time. It's one of those stories that like. It, it felt really special at the time because it was like, oh, yes, we haven't seen all these people together. You know, so much has changed for so many of these characters since right. the last time they saw each other. Um, well, this is the first crossover where X-Force was X-Force. Prior to this, yeah. they were the New Mutants. Yes, and, correct. And it's the first crossover with the new X-Factor. Before this, X-Factor was the original X-Men. Yes, and the first crossover with uh, the Golden Blue teams. True, yeah. So, so like I say, like, is really all of them coming together for the first time, uh, these characters since Extinction Agenda. And, you know, like you say, like when they're together in Extinction Agenda, they were very, very different characters, very different teams. Right. Um, so I don't know. It, it, that, to me, is one of my favorite things about this crossover, just that particularly if you put yourself in the mindset of uh, what was like at the time, just... Um, uh, I don't know how fresh it all felt. Yeah. Getting back to the strife of it all, which we got to get back to. Um, 
I think like they do a masterful job in this of kind of slowly spooling out that there is some villain we don't know about. Like when we see Apocalypse, when we see Sinister, it's great. It's big moments that are showing up, but you're always aware that there's someone else pulling the strings higher up. And it was cool for me, especially when, and Ryan, I think you probably maybe had a similar experience reading X-Force from the beginning, when you realize that Strife was the big bad of this whole story um, and that, that it was the X-Force villain. Because X-Force was kind of, you know, they were the ancillary team. They were not the main X-Men. You would expect Apocalypse or Sinister or even Magneto to be the big villain of an X-Men crossover. But no, Strife was Cable's villain. It was, it was X-Force's villain. And to see him capturing Gene and Scott before we knew his relationship to them, and we'll get into that a lot more next time. But just like, it was such a huge push and step up for Strife, and I thought he really nailed it. Well, yeah, not, only, not only that, but the fact that we're six issues in now, and we're still not really clear what his plan even is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was reading through this, and I'm like, Oh, I don't know what Strife is up to or what's going on, but I don't care because this is so much fun. Because so much of the momentum of this was just sort of, you know, when you start off with Xavier getting shot, like that really carries itself from there because that just sort of becomes the inciting incident that becomes all-consuming. And everything is just about figuring out first saving Professor Xavier then sort of like pulling on all these different threads to try and figure out what's going on. It's essentially like a murder mystery without a murder, uh, an attempted murder mystery, I guess. Um, But the momentum of it just completely carries it through. Yeah, I'm sorry, guys. I started looking at uh, Chapter 6, which is the the second X-Factor issue. Yeah. And it's you know it opens up with this amazing shot of Bishop and Wolverine and Cable. That's Bishop just yells "murderer." Yes, and he's <laughs> so massive good. arms and yep. just it's like machismo and blood and spit and testosterone and craziness everywhere. And then they go fight the MLF, and that was also one of the biggest uh, things that I remember is that the battle with the X Men and they bring Cannonball and Boom Boom along yep. to fight the MLF. And the MLF had mostly been, you know, obviously they, they've been fighting against X-Force. Yeah. Um, and then you ha- you change everything up, and there's this great moment with Cannonball and what is her name? Dragonus or Dragonus. Something? Yeah. yeah. And then the yeah, Storm, Rogue, and Polaris come in. There's this great line about uh, Rogue says, Cannibal's problem is that no matter how much he tries, he still gets all gushy when it comes to fighting women folk. And yeah. Polaris is like, oddly enough, we don't have that dilemma. And yeah. then you just see Dragonus get destroyed. It's, it's so amazing. Good. That's a great moment. That's, and then that's to- and that's such Peter David writing right yeah, there. Yeah, totally. And then in later in the issue, there's a beheading. And like again, going yes. back to like the violence level in oh. the X Factor issues, so much higher. Yes. And and the head like bumps. Who does the head bump into? Boom boom. Yeah, it bumps yeah. into boom boom, and she's like, she starts throwing up. Yeah, yeah, and then and and the best part was was like, Archangel is the one that beheads the guy, and he didn't mean to. Like he was just twisting around. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and he accidentally beheaded someone. It's like what? Kam- <laughs> kamikaze. Yeah. 
Mutant Liberation Front member Kamikaze gets his head chopped off because... Oh, yeah, and then he makes the joke Ar- about his name. Yeah, because Archangel basically, basically shrugs. And I also <laughs> like the, the cliffhanger of this entire thing uh, the, that we leave on in the sixth part is they say uh, Reaper might be about to kill Quicksilver and Gambit. And I just remember as a kid thinking I was like, you're not going to kill Gambit. Gambit's not going to die this way. He's not going to die at the hands of Reaper. I'm like, what a terrible cliffhanger. But, that would be a great what if. What if Reaper was the hero of Executioner's song and yeah, he killed Gambit? Managed to kill Gambit. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, it's great stuff. All right, I'm, I, we've, we've covered a lot of stuff, guys. Do you want to kind of do a wrap-up, any points you haven't gotten to make so far? And, and we will, of course, revisit this in two weeks. Uh, Christine, we can start with you. Um, not really. Most of us, like, I am just blown away by their fashion. Cause I also remember that one point where Jubilee was so spunky, but then when they close up, she wears earrings that has her name on them. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, but I think it was just, I think for me, um, it was awesome just getting this whole crash course of all the different teams and all the different people within just like six issues. Yeah, for sure. Strami. Uh, I, I just want to point out the fact that this story has only gotten better with age. Um, it is it is fantastic. It is a lot of fun. Um, it, it's so different from the type of like event stories that we have today. Um, it, it's just I don't know. It's just it's crazy. It's crazy. They just literally took. Like, the entire toy, like, I just imagine the summit where they plotted this. They just walked in with a huge tub of X-Men toys and <laughs> dumped it on the table. Yeah. And they all, like, started, like, playing with the toys to figure out. Because that's what it is. This is just every X-Men toy that was available. Not literally every X-Men toy, but everything that was in the X-Men universe toy box in the comics at this point dumped into one story. And it's magnificent. Ryan, take us home. This is the greatest story ever told. <laughs> uh, I've read this story front to back at least, like, realistically probably seven or eight times. Oh, absolutely. Maybe more. But As a kid alone, I read it probably dozens of times. I would just, I would just pull it out whenever I was bored. Yeah, you're probably all right. It's probably been more than, more than that. I was going to say it's more than seven or eight. Yeah, but, like thinking about it and then when i reread these six issues it was like i was eagerly turning the page it was like like i had never read it before and yeah, it was totally it it continues to captivate me it's, and it's what christine was saying like able to give you bits and pieces of like what is it 50 characters where you still feel invested in them like yeah. even you know, you got Quicksilver. The moment he's being snarky, he's being a jerk and doing all this stuff. But like when he gets his uh, his his legs sliced open, you're like, whoa, yeah. what's going to happen? Yeah, crazy. All right, we have a lot still to go with Executioner Song. First of all, we're going to get uh, Ryan and I are going to read you guys' thoughts and comments on it. But uh, there's a whole other six issues to go, guys. Christine, are you excited? I'm excited. I saw a panel for what's to come in the next six. There we go. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for uh, thanks for convening this mega panel. We will be back in a couple of weeks to uh, to wrap it up. But now it's time for your questions and comments. Mm-hmm.
bunch back. of apples yeah we're back like an apple yep just like biting into one yep all right so you guys heard what we had to say about executioner song myself ryan stromy christine but you guys had some opinions as well all and two of you. all two of you so far, very disappointing for, uh well i will say don yeah. dj fanko and penelope cat came out in force yeah they were here they, they were, represented they showed up hardcore yeah but we really want more of you guys to show up for next time this is a two-part twim urc so make sure you jump in for part two uh read part one first because you will not understand part two of the story without <laughs> read yeah definitely one. read all 12 issues then strife strike file mm-hmm. then the coda issue mm. that is after all the event oh songs end yeah songs end. the one that has uh we someone to, reaching at jubilee on the cover we need to put songs in yeah we should you want that in part two what might as well done Damn. Do you want Strike Strike File in Part 2? Yeah. Done. Put it all in there. All right. So just in case just someone wants issues. to, you know. Just a mere eight issues. Like, hey, if you want to read this, great. I, more importantly, I want Christine to read all of it. Yes. <laughs> that's what I'm That's what i about. But, yeah, we, we mentioned the two stalwarts who did uh, come out to play with us this week. And we start with DJ Fanko, who says, Well, it was only a matter of time. Executioner's song for Twim URC has arrived. Let's see if I can keep my comments to the first half. Oh, man. Warren's hair on page one lets you know this is going to be a dated story. His hair is this beautiful blonde mullet mm-hmm. that just flows over onto his suit. Beautiful. And like Charlotte, Charlotte Jones, Detective Charlotte, Charlotte Jones. Charlotte Detective Jones. Charlotte Jones. Yeah, yeah. She's in like her bike shorts mm-hmm. and like her jacket, whatever, and she's like, Ooh, that's a man. Up. Here's what you gotta here's what you gotta figure. He used an image inducer to create this image. <laughs> so that is exactly how he wanted his yeah. hair to look. Yeah. He could select it. Yeah. He could have been like, oh, I don't want to look like this. But no, he chose to flaunt it. Yes. It was all good. Uh, the fashion. and the, I, I know Christine really loved the uh, the fashion days in this issue. Bishop with the jerry curl mullet. Ah, classic. I love Bishop's mullet. I remember when he shaved his head, I was devastated. It's wrong. What was going on there? Yeah. Why well, deprive us of that? Uh, the crossover ended my ongoing subscription of the X-Men. It was a very different direction from the Claremont years. I saw this, and I was huh. kind of like, I don't know. I felt like it was very Claremontian in some ways. You know, it was very kind of uh, operatic language and a lot of soap opera stuff to go with the action. But, you know, to each their own. It fits in perfectly in my head. Yeah. It just transitioned one night to the other. I actually would say Executioner's Song is more Claremont than most of the rest of the 90s output. Oh, yeah. You, the stuff after that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, sure. You had Harry's Hideaway, a staple recreational getaway, and all the familiar faces on the team, including Bishop. But this was the story that essentially broke the teams. Going into the story, we had X-Factor, X-Force, and Blue and Gold X-Men teams in a healthy status quo. What came out the other side had been changed by loss, betrayal, and some of the most intense X-Men opponents. But that's, that's what, what you, you want. Need. Like, yeah. Team, your characters have to go through trials and right. tribulations. Right. And they, they come out the other side and, you know, they find their loss. They find their victories, and right. like that's what—that's the good story. I mean, Claremont did that like what every year, <laughs> all the time. Dark Phoenix Saga, Mutant Massacre, Who Inferno. Mariko? 
Uh, I think it was Larry Hama. Okay. I think. I'm not sure. But, like, all the stuff with Mariko through the years yep. were, like, Fractured Wolverine. Yep. Uh, the Dark Phoenix Saga. Yeah, I mentioned that. Like, yeah, like, so many. The Mutant Massacre. Yes. Inferno. Yes. It was all terrible. So many but things. But it was so good. Was That's great. where all the great stories came from. Yeah. So, and, yeah. Like, and, and in this, I mean... They were they had already gone through like crazy fracturing within the last year. Sure. Already. So, you know, like New Mutants had turned into X Force. Yeah. X Factor had completely changed. changed. The X Men teams were unrecognizable from what they really were. Sure, they were you look so at like the different. Australian Outback team. It's nothing like this. Good eye, Mike. Yeah. My name's X Man. There you go. That was your excuse for that. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Put another shrimp on the barbie. Yeah. We should really do a uh uh, Twim URC on the Australian X-Men yeah. just so you can do the accent. <laughs> Oi, bub! My name's Wolverine! I'm here to that's, gird your loins! That's, that's what he sounded like on Pride of the I X-Men. Yeah, and it was I, perfect. And Yeah, it's so perfect. Can we somehow do Pride of the X-Men for Twim URC? <laughs> I, was there ever an adaptation? Yeah, but it was a video game. Right. The greatest video game ever. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe we have to write an adaptation. Yep. Oh, there you go. All right. Uh, the thing I appreciated about it was it put to bed the weird mental fantasies Scott had for reborn ninja Psylocke. We talked about that yeah. yesterday. Um, I don't. I, I don't I think it's put it to an end. I think it continues after this. I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, I believe, if I recall correctly, and I usually do, <laughs> that it went into about the 30s of ejectiveless. X-Men where Revanche uh, debuted and then her and Psylocke had the whole to do about who was the real Betsy Braddock and all that and that's when the Cyclops stuff came to a head if I recall. Was that after the wedding? Yeah. Hmm. Post wedding. Hmm. He made it through he made it through the wedding. He was still okay. But wow. yeah, I, I don't know. There, there was a lot of Psylocke Japan stuff going on around this era like mm-hmm. within 10 issues of Executioner's Song. When At what point did so, yeah, Betsy got changed while Jim Lee was drawing the book. Right. Yeah. Right. So that would have been like a couple, two, three years before. That was like two, 270, 280 something. Okay. Maybe 260. Oh, yeah. So it's really not yeah. that, not terribly too far. No, behind. not at all. This is, we're still fairly new into ninja Japanese Psylocke mm. at this point. Right. And Cyclops is just. Can you imagine if that happened today? Oh, my God. It, I mean, she is Asian right now, right? Yeah, she hasn't been. She hasn't been. Like, she hasn't changed back to like the her version. original vo- body, right? Yeah, yeah. No, I don't even remember the story that happened there. Oh man, it, Mojo's involved. Yeah. Spirals involved. Yeah. Whole bunch of stuff. But yeah, I mean, at this point, I think she's been, for lack of a better term, Ninja Psylocke longer than she was British Psylocke. Yeah. But yeah, if oh, that happened today, put another Ninja Star on the Barbie. There you go. There you go. Perfect. You like that? No. Oh my god. It's real good. Turn huh? Angelica. <laughs> is freaking out. Um, I'm worried. Let's see what else we got. Despite his wandering eyes, I appreciate how Scott and Jean were not only at the focus of the villain's machinations, but also at the center of hope for one another. I mean, th- their story throughout this is great. The it's the best. Them, yeah. It's so over the top 
the way Strife tor- we haven't even gotten to the best stuff with Strife no. like tormenting them yet yeah. that'll all come in part two but there's the, there even is that little bit where like Gene is getting groped by the mechanical mm. arms and is that really, this one that was okay. that was in like issue, couldn't remember if that was part this or six or the I think part. and it's really like it oh it still makes me uncomfortable yeah and then, it's really weird and then Cyclops is like in the dark and starts oh, blasting yeah. out and then it's kids falling and, and Gene, then Gene yeah and then messed up so messed up I know they use, I know they do stuff with a fake baby in the next one. Oh yeah the yeah. fake baby we'll uh, yeah there. Brandon Peterson draws that Brandon one Peterson I very specifically yep. remember yeah good yeah. good eye yeah all right uh, Scott Lobdell filled his issues with solid banter that was a fun hallmark of his writing that improved over time yep Lobdell was definitely very good with the banter funny guy um, I know I've been kind of critical of this crossover but the great writing has over was overshadowed by jarring art changes of the day Al Milgram's inks on X Factor were underappreciated at the time but definitely stand the test of time yeah Milgram I mean he's, he's, a, he's a legend he's pretty much a legend yeah but the like yeah I think I guess you we, we talked about it a little bit how when we were younger mm-hmm. that stuff was completely jarring but now yeah. like I, it's just cool. Like you, you could give me one thousand issues of Jay Lee drawing yeah. X Men, and I would be happy. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised he never went back to X Men after X Factor. I think he was he off went, doing other stuff. Yeah, he, I know because I remember reading his independent book. It was yeah. like Hellshock. Yep, I remember um, Hellshock. And I read it specifically because I loved his X Men, yeah. like his X stuff, and yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. I will, I will buy anything that he does yeah and then i mean he did humans yep. he did century whatever else paul jenkins wrote <laughs> um, but he was great on x factor yeah. uh peter david's dialogue was a great compliment to jay lee's art and a fantastic flow from lobdell's opening salvo hmm. the confrontation by shatterstar and strong guy was hilarious that's where shatterstar just keeps cutting him with his oh, yeah, sword he, right he cuts him with the sword and, and strong, strong guy's like, like ow he's like wait a minute nothing yeah. on this planet ever hurts me yeah where are you yeah this is uncomfortable and then the, the my favorite is that scene and Shatterstar pulls back the sword mm-hmm. and he plunges it onto Strong, uh, strong guy. Guy's chest and Strong Guy reacts he's like ah he screams and the sword's not there because yeah. Pietro the Quicksilver Grab had it. already pulled it away from Shatterstar I love that moment Strong Guy and actually all of the X-Factor roster get kind of marginalized in Executioner's Song they're definitely like they get their book just taken from them X-Force 2 I guess X-Force is yeah. whittled down to Boom Boom and Cannonball um, pretty quickly but X-Factor are like the unsung heroes of this crossover for me I think they're fantastic i think strong guy is just great pietro has some cool moments um havoc gets to really step up it's yeah. it's it's a good time for x factor you have x factor. Uh, multiple man in like doing a conga doing his line, conga line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh there's other points where he like he's fighting boom boom like there's, oh, there's, so the, many great there's the emotional stuff with wolfsbane where oh, she yeah. first hooks back up with the other new mutants it's good stuff totally. um and finally uh, as you just mentioned, Pietro's intervention made for a great moment in the midst of a fun battle. Easily one of the best issues of the crossover. Well said, Don. And you X- kept it to the first half. Yeah, good the, job. The X-Factor versus X-Force issue is yeah. the one he's talking about. That was really good. Um, all right. Penelope Cat says, New Twimmy RC selection is the first part of the Executioner song X-Men crossover. I've never read these stories. Ta-da. This is very much from the time when I wasn't interested in X-Men. However, going to try to keep an open mind. He said, Penelope Cat says, Uncanny 294, I may not have been reading X-Men at the time, but I, w- it was when Lila and, but I was when Lila and Caliban were introduced. He's so different here. Yeah, this is like the first appearance, I think, of the new Caliban. I don't know if he 
underwent the transformation during X Factor because I haven't read all of X Factor. Mm. Um, I don't know when he went from being like skinny, uh, unassuming Caliban to being big Hulk. War, war. No, he's death. He's death. Horseman yeah. of death, Caliban. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, clearly, lots of interpersonal drama going on prior to this issue. Par for the X Men course. Mm. I don't know Cable's timeline well enough to know where this story falls. How mm. soon was this story after his debut? I'm gonna say. Well, about, so this is yeah about two years, give about, or take. Yeah, yeah that's what I was gonna Cause say. Because he shows up in '87, right? Yeah. Uh, number '87. Mutants number '87. And so that went to 100, and so that's a little over a year. Yeah. Then this is about issue seven or eight, nine, somewhere in there. X Force. Yeah. No, it's later than that. Is it? Yeah, this is like uh, this is like the mid-teens of X-Force. Okay, so two and a half, three years, somewhere Yeah, I would there. say three years is a safe yeah. And this is right after his um, two-issue yeah. solo limited. Blood and Metal. Yes. Oh, so good. So that was good. on John Romita Jr. drew, right? Yeah. What are you? What are you? Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> I won't laugh anymore. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he's still like, I think the writers are still figuring him out. Yep. He'd sort of been... A little bit more militant and, and scary in those early This is years. the first story where you get to see a human side yeah. of Cable, I would argue. For the first years, he's just cool, badass mutant with guns. And now he gets to be actual, uh, whoa, he has he has ties to all these other characters. What's going on? And that would increase over the years. What, I don't, what happened to him after this? All right. So he gets, uh, well, that ties into I the get, end. Oh, yeah. We'll, so we'll let's talk, talk about, about it him, next yeah. time. Okay. Oh, yeah. We'll, right. we'll, 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 we'll touch on what happens then after. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, Penelope Cat says Brandon Peterson is a favorite artist of mine still very Jim Lee influenced at this point I think what is he up to now he hasn't done anything in a little while yeah he, he was previously on um, some Inhumans books for yeah, us yeah 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 uh, last couple years that's the most recent thing I can recall he did um, Age of Ult some Age of Ultron stuff yeah 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 um, but he's you know, I know he's Bendis likes working with him yeah he's totally different style today than he had yeah back he went in on a 90s. lot more digital like yeah it looks really things. good things yeah I mean he's he did, he did some X-Men stuff when Karen Gillan was writing the book that mm-hmm. looked phenomenal. Yeah. Um, where are we? All right. So Penelope Cat says, X-Factor X 84. Does the world not know Xavier is a mutant at this point? No. Xavier didn't out himself as a mutant until the Grant Morrison Frank Quiley run. He was still uh, just a mutant, a mutant supporter. Yeah. A guy who was very aligned with mutants. And, you know, he can hide. Like, he, right. there's nothing physical about him that says he's a mutant. He's right. in a wheelchair. He's just, you know, he's a regular bald dude yeah. who's, like, hanging out dude. with children. Like, yeah. that's a thing that happens, you know? It's real. That's a that's reality. It's real. And okay. So, him having, you know, the most powerful telepathic mind, no one needs to know yeah. that. So, yeah, uh, it was interesting. Yeah, he has his school, and he's he's a you know philanthropist, and he's a defender of rights and all this mm-hmm. stuff. But just you know, people just think that guy. He sure likes mutants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, where are we? All right. So it says, nice to see some early Jay Lee art. This seems reminiscent of Joe Q's work on X Factor. Yeah, it was actually. I mean, Joe Q's arc came right after this. It was yeah, it was a right. Yeah, after. it was right after this because the issue after. Uh, Executioner's song is examinations. Right. The the Doc Sampson issue. Um, 
And it was weird. It was like it was almost like they were throwing non-typical X-Men artists onto X-Factor just to have fun with it. Because Larry Stroman, if you think about it, was also kind of in that same he Jay was. Lee, Joe Casada school. I love Larry Stroman. No, I do like, too. He's he does really cool, weird perspectives. And yeah, like I think body these, types. These, these all guys all did cool that. There were they weren't kind of the Jim Lee, Andy Kubert, Greg Capullo uh, making the characters look like supermodels, which is great, and I love it. Um, they had more of the dark gritty yeah. um you know exaggerate like you said exaggerated musculature and all that stuff so it was, it, there was kind of a there was a through line for peter david's x factor yeah. even if it had like three or four different artists and i would also say definitely with the joe q connection like there's some things with especially joe the way joe draws eyes and draws some faces and there's some things in here throughout that definitely connect jay with joe mm-hmm. um and for i sure. love the way jay lee drew gambit in a lot of shots because he makes gambit look like such a weird yeah. doofus dirtbag like a monster uh, uh, like he's like st- in one scene he's like me like standing there <laughs> in the background just like got this dumb look on his face and you just want to punch him in a stupid gambit face oh man it's great yeah um well, right. I, love, I mean another thing that i loved in the and you know we already had our whole say on the story but i love how x factor kind of cuts the tension when the X-Men are being super sick, like, again, in that issue where X-Force fights X-Factor, and then the X-Men show up at the end, and they're like, we're going to get Cable. And Strong Guy, Strong Guy goes, oh, good, maybe HBO for me? Yeah. Like, uh, stuff like that. Where And, and where Havoc is just so embarrassed. Yep. Havoc's just like, oh, this freaking team. Like, yes. I can't believe these, these are my teammates. Yes. Um, all right. <clears throat> Penelope Cat says, I remember reading Peter David's X Factor, but maybe not by this time. All the constant bitching is kind of wearing me down. Hmm. Well, hmm. Uh, two issues in, I think my problem is context. I don't know why Cable shot Xavier, so all I'm getting from a story is fighting. Ah. Uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. Well, you'll get there. You'll get there you'll on get the second there. half, yeah. I'm going to persevere, though. Hopefully answers are forthcoming. And the character dynamics do remind me a lot of Claremont. Yeah. See? There we go. X-Men 14. Hank calls what happened in accident yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, that's Cable, a little weird Cable didn't mean to shoot yeah. him <laughs> whoops my gun went off <laughs> That's my cable. Impression. I like stuttering cable. Yeah, he should, he should be a regular feature on the on this show. <laughs> cannibal! What are we gonna do now? That's <laughs> great. It's great. I love it. Uh, also, when did Scott and Jean get their costumes? Um, I I just assume Sinister had copies of their costumes that he put them in. Yeah, Sinister is creepy AF man. Yeah. He's he, like dressing them up and like. You know, yeah, touching their butts, like yeah, playing with their hair, just yep. doing all sorts of weird stuff. Mm-hmm. That Sinister does. Okay, uh, now Penelope says, "Okay, so maybe it wasn't Cable who shot Xavier. Mm. The plot thickens." Mm. And he says, three X teams, four Horsemen, Sinister, Apocalypse, nine guys helping Apocalypse." Can't say these books don't give you your money's worth. Absolutely not. Uh, that's. I mean, we had some robust villain teams in our time. Thick. That's what we knew. Thick, A lot of C's. Thick, in there. juicy villain teams. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Expector 16. Uh, maybe time for a break. Totally misread MLF as MILF. I, I don't know what that is. Yeah, I don't uh, know. I don't so know, man. I don't know how you misread that. Um, that. Mutant International Liberation Front? Yeah, prob- that's, that's prob- probably, probably what, what he thought. probably what it was. Uh, oops, meant X-Force. Too many X titles. Also nice seeing Greg Capullo's art. Too bad he has left comics. I know, that's I a know. shame. Yeah. Who knows? He, what a promising talent. Seriously, he, he left X-Force and then... He, you know what? There was a time, though... When I read X Force pretty much from the beginning, when Liefeld left, I was bummed out. But then Capullo came on, I was like, "Ah, oh, Capullo is amazing. We'll never, we'll be great." Capullo, this was after his Quasar run. Yes. Yeah. 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 So.
so he came on and I'm like, ah, oh, Capullo's great. We don't need Liefeld. We have Capullo forever. And Capullo left and I was like, damn it. And then Tony Daniel came on and he was really, really good. And then he left. And then Adam Polina came on oh, the Adam and he Polina was good. Stuff. It was like mm-hmm. X-Force always had good artists. And then Jim Chung replaced Adam Polina and just so on and so forth. Oh, man. And he begat he. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Anyway, all right. So Penoblica continues, says, why would anyone trust Mr. Sinister? Mm. It's right there in the name. You got to look at your options, man. Yeah. It was like Sinister or Apocalypse or Strife. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no good options here. Hey, welcome to Bad Guy Town. <laughs> uh, and I know nothing of Strife's history. Time to... Oh, oh, I hope you didn't Google it. He did. Oh, he I hope did. you didn't. That's a shame. And he says... And yeah, I'll, don't, don't say the spoiler. Spoiler. For the next part of the story, if you've not read it, you should not get into like because we were just learning about Strife at this point. The The thing I loved about Executioner's song was they basically through his actions he made it pretty clear who you thought he was supposed to be, but they danced around it so beautifully. It was such a beautiful dance. Yes. Uh, Hopefully that now now that X Force has been captured, everyone can stop fighting and work towards a solution. (laughs) Yeah, I mean the first half of this crossover is really X teams versus X teams, and then the second half you do get them starting to try to work together to solve everything. Yeah. Uncanny295, he says, I thought the issue was being skimpy with info about Strife. Mm -hmm. After Val's briefing, it seemed not a lot was known. And it wasn't. It wasn't. Because he was a mystery to everyone. Yeah, and very few people even know he had the same face as Cable. Yeah. I remember that was a big deal when it happened. That was uh, Kane, Weapon X, was fighting him in the backup of a X-Force issue, or a New Mutants issue, one of the two. And he uh, knocked his mask off and saw we saw he looked like Cable for the first time. How quickly did Strife show up after Cable first debuted? Same, Same issue? Really? I want to say. Interesting. The MLF is definitely in that issue. It's just a question of whether or not Strife is in that issue. Think about those, like that first, that year that mm-hmm. of like Fabian and Liefeld <laughs> on New Mutants. Well, I don't know if Strife debuted that issue, but they definitely debuted the MLF because that's who Cable was trying to save Rusty and Skids from. Mm. Was the MLF was coming? Great after job them. there. Yeah, nice job, Cable. <laughs> you jerk. Yep. All right, last one from Penelope Caddy says. Putting in a Terry and the Pirates reference really shows how old <laughs> Peter David thought his audience was. I don't think Peter David cares how old his audience is. He's going to put in the references he's he wants He's going to do what he wants, and it's going to be great. All right, guys. Uh, so that's it. That's it for, for part one of Executioner's yeah. Song. But we will have part two coming at you, Fast and Furious. We're going to add a few extras and some goodies in. And um, we'll get to this when we get to this. We're going to take our time, make sure we have all four of us available again to Yeah, so chat. it might not be in uh, two weeks from now yeah, uh, because I'll be traveling and there's a whole bunch of stuff going on that week. But oh, yeah, we'll yeah, be yeah. doing it. So read it, read it early, get your comments in, and we'll make sure uh, Angelica's brother Alex keeps track of all of them. <laughs> Yes. It's it's a real inside baseball. Real inside. (laughs) This is Marvel, your baseball.